0: Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
2: Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback.
1: Away we go.
3: Initialize sequence.
1: Welcome to The Baldcast.
0: A production of John Bald Baldface Truth. Now. Built by high-caliber millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the Bald, bald Face truth. truth.
1: We made it! Final Pac-12 game tonight in the Pac-12 Championship in Las Vegas. Welcome into the Bald Face Truth on the BMT Radio Network. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with you. John Catano will join us live from Vegas, live from Allegiant Stadium coming up in about 20 minutes. He'll do it again in the 4 o'clock hour. So get your 2-dip of J.C. from Vegas, from the L.V., ahead of Oregon and Washington. And that's coming up at uh, in about 20 minutes' time and again at about 4.20 as well. Steven, what's up, man? We made it to the very last day of Pac-12 football, at least between two Pac-12 teams as we know it. And we got a doozy in the Ducks and the Dogs.
4: Yeah, you know, a little bittersweet, but uh, at the same time, it's gonna, it should be a good game, right? And I think the winner of uh, the game goes to the Costwell playoff, so nothing better than that, Judah.
1: And I, I hope you're right, because I think Oregon deserves to be in the playoff with a win. I just worry about an Alabama win over Georgia really screwing things. Florida State, they might be down to a backup, backup quarterback. We'll see. I think their backup quarterback is a game-time decision for Louisville. But for the Ducks, you got to take care of business. And the kickoff is in about two hours from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. And John Cassano will join us here in about 20 minutes live from the stadium. But I also want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Speak now or forever. Hold your peace. Give me your score prediction. Give me your X factor. Tell me if Bo Nix wins the Heisman tonight with a strong performance. Tell me who his top target's going to be. I keep coming back, obviously, to Troy Franklin. But I also think Tez Johnson is going to have some say in tonight's game. He and Bo Nix have just grown their chemistry more and more with each passing week. And it started in that Washington game. There were some high leverage moments from Bo to Tez that came up a little short. Most notably that fourth down there toward the end of the game. But Tez Johnson's been very good. That's one X factor I have. I've got a score of 34-24. Ducks win tonight. That would be a little bit under the projected point total, which is ranged right around 64, I believe, right now. Steven, what's your feel on this game? And callers, you can call in at 503-417-7575.
4: Yeah, I mean, initially 64 seems like a lot of points in this game, but uh, especially with the Ducks' defense, the way that they've played the second half of the season, they've been elite. And so I do wonder if that's a little high of a total, especially with the way Washington's offense has been struggling the last half of the season. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be right around there. I think I have it about 42-20. to 20. Oregon, I think Oregon handles business against Washington tonight. I've, mm. I've said this the whole week. I think Oregon's just the better team. And and I think it all, the dam just kind of breaks for Washington in this game. They've lucked out. They've eked out a couple victories after this Oregon game. Every game they've played has been pretty close after that win against Oregon. I just don't know that they can afford to play that thin of a line against the Ducks. They have to play a perfect game. It's going to have to be the first half of the season. Michael Penix—he's averaging you know less than hundred yards uh, the last the last six games. they did the first six games, so he's got to be healthy. He's got to be first half. Michael Penix. I just don't know if he can have that in him anymore. So I think the Ducks handle business and the Ducks uh, get to the playoff with this win. I think Bo Nix- Gets a Heisman win with this win.
1: Well, how about that? I mean, the the idea that Bonix can win the Heisman with a good uh, performance and a victory tonight, this is his 60th start in college football. Going back to his very first start, which was against Oregon in the 2019 season opener in late August, which is amazing to think about. Bo Nix versus Justin Herbert. to think where both quarterbacks are right now. And, of course, Nix also donning the number 10 in uh, green and gold. Oregon will be in their all-whites tonight. I'm also looking at the defensive side of the ball, and you talk about Michael Penix. There's different reports out there about how healthy this guy is. I mean, it seems like everybody's afraid to go on the record and say that he's hurt. So is this just an injury they're concealing? They don't want to put a target on his midsection, you know? But I think Oregon already knows that this guy can't be 100%. At the very least, they know that his performance has been trending downward over the last six weeks as well. And basically, since that Oregon game, his performance has been trending downwards. But let's assume that he's healthy. Let's assume that the receivers are healthy. Because they haven't had that trio of receivers really at 100% health on the field all at the same time in quite some time. And you look at Oregon's secondary; they're probably going to be a little bit thin at secondary which Julio Florence not playing in this game, but Kyrie Jackson, and then you know some others. We'll see if it's uh, Bridges that gets some run at the second corner spot. We'll see if it's a little bit of Dante Manning. We'll see uh, how much Taishim Johnson might come down from his safety position and and play in the slot a little bit. There's some personnel decisions to be made. Nico Reed, the Colorado transfer. But the Ducks secondary is going to be tested in this game, which leads me, Stephen, to to the battle up front. I mean, think about Pac-12 championship games and the last couple that Oregon's been in and who's been the game wrecker in a couple of those games that really shifted things in Oregon's favor. I'm talking about the 2019 game against Utah and the 2020 game against USC. It was one, number five, Kayvon Thibodeau. He made some massive splash plays In those Pac-12 championship games, both of them, that really helped seal victories for the Ducks. He was a game wrecker up front. He was all about big moments. He had a blocked punt, for crying out loud, in one of those games. And he was one of the more dominant forces and shifted momentum in Oregon's favor in both of those games. In big moments, you look for your big players to make those big plays. Now, Oregon on the defensive line, they don't have what they had in Cavemont Thibodeau, at least from the individual, you know, uh, profile standpoint. But they got Brandon Dorless, they got Jordan Burch, and they got Casey Rogers, and they got Taki Taimani. And I look at Dorless and Birch in particular, those are alpha guys with a chance to be game-wrecking players. And on the defensive front, that's what you want. You want to be up in Michael Penix's grill all game long. You want to be knocking him on his can on big third-down moments. You know, Washington shouldn't have the pass protection to hold up against Oregon's pass rush in this game. And frankly, Oregon better get to Michael Penix in this game, Steven, in order to have a chance, because I don't think their secondary in traditional line it up, play it, play it out, first down, second down, third down football, I don't think Oregon's secondary can hold up for 60 minutes against Washington's receivers, so that pass rush better be getting home for Oregon tonight.
4: Well, and you're right. If I think as long as Washington's healthy, as long as Penix is healthy, that is a hundred percent fact, and they've proven that. They proved that against the Ducks when they played them earlier this season. And even McMillan wasn't playing in that game. He he went out after a couple plays. You look at uh, Polk and Roma Dunze, like they just dominated that football game against the Oregon Ducks. So you're right. If if those guys are healthy and Penix is healthy and the Ducks don't get any pressure. That's where Oregon can fall into some trouble, and that's the one thing you have to worry about as a Duck fan right now, because you have talked about this before. Nobody knows exactly what's wrong with Michael Penix, if something's wrong with Michael Penix, you read what Husky fans would say. Well, he was just sick. You know, he had a little flu
1: last last couple weeks. I had Husky fans telling me that in the Arizona State game, too. I,
4: I'd heard that, too. It's so, like whenever
1: he has a bad game, he had the flu. So I don't know if he's had the flu for, you know, two months. Maybe
4: he has. I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a new string, a new string of the flu we've never seen before. Michael Penix has the first guy to get it, but... It's, it's tough to say, Judah. Like, yeah. If if he's healthy, you're right. If the Ducks don't get pressure on him, he's going to go for 300-plus yards and four touchdowns like he did at Husky Stadium. If he's not healthy and the Ducks can't get a little bit of pressure on him, I think that's where Oregon gets the job done. I lean more towards the latter. I, think, I, I just can't believe that Michael Penix is healthy right now. I think another big thing right now for Oregon is you go back to that game in the first, the first game at Husky Stadium, Dylan Johnson—that was kind of his coming out party. He had 100 yards rushing, touchdown, five yards of carry. Since you know that game, the last five games, Judy, hes averaging 5.9 yards of rush, averaging um, 109 yards a game since so in the last five games. He's really come on strong for the Huskies. How much does that play into effect? And because it, it, I talked about it against the Beavers, and he had a nice game against Oregon State as well. Yeah, people weren't really expecting to come out. He had a nice game there. Do you think Dylan Johnson could be an X-factor in this one for the Huskies offensively, just in case Penix isn't right? Can Washington slow the game down a little bit and pound it out a little bit, get get Dylan Johnson going, get Bo Nix off the field?
1: If I was Ryan Grubb, that would be a major part of my game plan, would be to get Dylan Johnson going and get him going early. In fact, in that October 14th game with Oregon, he did get going early. I think a, a bunch of his uh, yardage total came in that first half. I want to see he had 75 yards by halftime and a touchdown, and that really helped Washington control that game and control, you know, a, a lot of uh, the time of possession as well. He's the one guy that, you know, we kind of sleep on. We talk so much about Penix and the trio of receivers. But uh, Westover, the tight end, that little that little wide tight end who makes random catches from time to time, uh, is kind of a fun player. And Dylan Johnson, I think both of those guys are, are key. Look, man, Oregon needs to beat these guys. Oregon needs to get a Washington win for Dan Lanning. The game in Odson last year, I'll never forget it. I still stick with me. And Oregon was a two-touchdown favorite going into that game, and Penix just went right in there and ripped it right from you. By the way, I hate it that Washington was allowed to wear purple in Odson State. I will never understand that. That might be just an aesthetic thing and a traditionalist thing out of me, but how do you let Washington wear their home jerseys in Eugene? I don't get that. Whoever chooses you uh, uniform combinations, that's a that's a mistake right there. Uh, And then, obviously, in the Seattle game, Penix played pretty well, but he got banged up late and still made clutch throws when he had to have them, and he ripped a victory right out from you. And in both of those games, it was the Oregon secondary that got exploited, and the safeties in particular. Uh, You talked about Bennett Williams in the first game in Eugene last year, and then Evan Williams in the game in Seattle this year, the little brother of Bennett in the Fresno State transfer Like, these guys are going to be tested. I think the idea that Oregon's defense, they've been so dominant and stingy and and resilient and consistent and focused and angry, yeah. They haven't played Washington since the last time they played Washington. That's the thing about college football. These personnel groupings and the the difference in talent level is just so vastly different. Even within your own conference, you're really going to say that uh, the dominant performance they put up against, like, Stanford, which I know was before the Washington game, the Arizona State game, even the Oregon State game, you know, those guys were lost. Their head coach was already two feet in the state of Michigan by the time they kicked that one off in the Civil War. The Oregon defense has not played an offense the caliber of UW uh, since the last time they played UW on October 14th. You could throw in USC in there, but we know USC's was a complete mess and they needed a, a late back door just to be in that game and cover. Same with Washington State. I mean, Washington State was kind of a mess by the time that they w- went into Eugene and played Oregon. At least this UW team, the only real question that they have is Pendix's health and his status. And if he's able to come out now, keep in mind, it is a short week for Washington, having played the Apple Cup on Saturday, whereas Oregon's got the full week from the Civil War the previous Friday. But I don't know, Stephen, are we start, are we getting a little overconfident in the Ducks' ability on defense to kind of dictate things against a U-Dub offense that's been pretty explosive all year, even though they've played in some close games lately?
4: I don't think so, Judah. I, I really hmm. believe in this Duck defense. Right. and. I know that they've had some trouble, you know, you talked about the backdoor covers against Washington State and USC, but they really dominated those games, and that was the end of the games where it didn't, you know, the game was out of sorts at that point. The only game that they really struggled was, you're right, was the game against Washington up in Seattle, but that was when I think Michael Penix was more healthy. I think the Huskies were just rolling at that point. They're playing much better football than they are now. I, I just You look at the last couple of games, Washington has eked out wins. And I just have not been impressed with how they've looked. I think this, you know, the spread at nine and a half, ten 10 points, wherever it is, I think it's gone back down to 9.5, uh, got bought up a little bit at 10. But... I think that's about right. Like, that's where it should be. I, I think the way Oregon's been playing all season long, and Vegas has, Vegas has said this, the Ducks are the second or third best team in the nation right now, and I don't think Washington is that close. So you look at what the Ducks have done defensively, they have stepped up in all these big games. When Colorado came in with that vaunted offense, we all thought they really shut down Shador Sanders. When USC came in, they really shut down Caleb Williams. He had a, you know, a couple big plays, but that was about it. I look now at Washington in a, in a neutral spot at Vegas. All that Oregon has to play for, Bo Nix having to get the Heisman. I just, I cannot see mm-hmm. the Huskies going out and winning this game. Now, if Washington is to come out and win, they got to strike real quick and they got to prove that Penix is healthy and put that fear in the Ducks, in the Ducks defense. But I, I just don't see it happening, Judah.
1: Well, you think about Pac-12 title games in the past, you know, the 19 and 20 games in particular. The Oregon Ducks have showed up big. They've they've showed up strong, outside of the Utah game in uh, in 2021, and of course Utah, back to back champions of this game. Uh, and they're not in it this year, even though Cambo is coming back next year. You said how many years is this going to be for Cam Rising? He's going into his seventh year next year. Well, him and what, DJU are going to be
4: about, what, 27 next season probably about?
1: Something there. like that, yeah. 27, 28 Utah goes to the uh, the Big 12 Conference. But outside of the 2021 game, which, by the way, Mario was one and a half feet out the door to Coral Gables, and that's the thing. You know, you got two coaches that are – very secure in who they are. They're secure in their positions within their respective programs. There's no outside drama in terms of the future of the head coach. You're going to get the best out of both of these teams tonight. I really do think it's going to be a really well-played game. I don't think it's going to be sloppy like USC, just totally wet the bed after, you know, Caleb pulled up with a bit of a hammy and the painted fingernails and all of that. And just, I don't, I don't think one team is absolutely going to fold over. That's, that's what makes the the ten points a little bit hard for me to swallow. A team that like UW that's found ways to win all year. That by the way, you know, on grass, indoors, last two weeks, you know, it's kind of been weird weather for them and their offense. Like, I don't know. There's a version of this where I do think UW does find themselves offensively, but at the end of the day, Oregon's the better team. That the stronger team. the more physical team. They've been in way better form than Washington over the last uh, six weeks. Uh, there's tons on the line for for both. And you're right, Bo Nix can seal a Heisman Trophy. I think tonight with a with a strong performance, and hopefully it's not just the stat line. You know, if if they win and he's got just one total touchdown, I feel like he should still win the Heisman. I don't think he will, though. I don't think he <laughs> needs that happens, a big game.
4: Yeah. I think he need. I think he has to have a big game. You, we talked about if the Ducks win, do you think they're in? I think they're in regardless of the College Football Playoff. But I think if Bo Nix has an average game, below average game. And the Ducks win. I think Jaden Daniels can still come away with the Heisman. But I think more importantly, if you're a Duck fan, you'd rather just make the College Football Playoff than the Heisman the Trophy. Yeah. Right? So I, I do think there's a difference there. But I think Bo Nix is going to have to have a nice game to win the Heisman. It's you know, you're here's the thing, Judah. I look at all the units on this team on the in this game. The Washington offense, Washington defense, Ducks O, Ducks D. The worst of the units is the Washington defense. I think we can both agree of that, right? I think it
1: is, but I think we we underestimate the Washington defense. I think they're a little agree. bit better than we think. The,
4: the defense has won them games in the they last have. few games, and that's what worries me if you're a Washington fan. That's by far the worst unit on the field, yet that's the unit that has carried the Huskies the last couple games. It hasn't been the offense. You go back to the Oregon State game, it wasn't Michael Penix who was making plays. That defense really shut down the Oregon State offense, know it was wet and out there, and you know Penix made the play at the end of the game to win. But Pennington didn't have a great game.
1: They got shut out in the second half. Yeah, it was Also, the- they had the ball for like four minutes in the second half. <laughs> it
4: was the Huskies' defense that <laughs> won the
1: game. But you like, I think Jonathan and DJ and everybody, they gave you a blueprint. Hold on to the ball. And then, by the way, Oregon State had like a 10-minute touchdown drive to start the third quarter against Washington. And then what did Oregon do the next week? They had a ten-minute touchdown drive against the Beavers. You think (laughs) Oregon does that
4: to start this game?
1: They they they, they, you know methodically run the ball downfield, just like against the Bees. That's what they've been all year, right? I mean, they they, set the tone. If people are picking apart the Ducks, they say they're not really like vertically explosive. Now, every once in a while, Knicks will get a deep ball to Troy Franklin or Tez Johnson, but it hasn't been like as regularly explosive as you might. Think when you it's not Herbert it. or
4: Mariota, right? Larry just well, chucking it down.
1: Freaking Herbert never well, chucked Herb it down. down the they that's true. they well, never. Should've. They should have. They. I was looking at the box score from the nineteen game against Utah, and Herbert threw for like hundred and fifty yards, <laughs> but he ran for three touchdowns. Remember that was that's right. That was the start of when they really unlocked Herbie's legs. And that reminds me too. What did John Cazzano say at the very beginning of the year? One of his very early takes on the success of this Oregon team was Bo Nix had to limit his rushing in order for Oregon to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish this year. bonix really has limited his rushing. He has not brought out his legs really all that much, whether it's been designed runs or scrambling outside of the pocket and, uh, and making plays with his legs. Well, the time is now, ladies and gentlemen. You got a Heisman on the line. You got a college football playoff spot on the line. You know, if you got to use your legs, I think this is when you bust it out, just like 2019. Herbie barely ran all year. What would he do in the the game against Utah? They brought out his legs and they couldn't stop that man. And, And then the same thing in the Rose Bowl. They couldn't stop. Wisconsin couldn't stop him running the ball either. Which by the way, Marcus Arroyo pulling the strings with that offense back then a few years ago. I mean, Will Stein is 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 light years ahead of where well, Marcus Arroyo was anyway, doing. That's an understatement there.
4: Uh, yeah, you're right. And, and you look at the stats, Bo Nix, 510 yards rushing last season. He's at 159 this year. So, I mean, he really hasn't ran the football. And that's great. 14 touchdowns last year, six this year. I think you're right. I, I That's something to watch for. I think early on, especially Bo Nix... Maybe if the little read option, he keeps it, and he gets a 20, 25-yard pop, and you're like, oh, man, well, that's they're going to unload
1: Bo Nix. Tonight. When you're this familiar with an opponent, you know, first it's your rivalry opponent, and two, you've already played him before, three, it's a Pac-12 title game, you know, all the stakes are on the field. Steven, what's the balance between doing what you do and doing what you do well and staying within yourself and being true to who we are, et cetera, et cetera, but being able to pull out the left hand? You know, you got to hit them with something they haven't seen yet. I know. I, look at what Ryan Grubb did in the Wazoo game, the fourth and one call, which is a ballsy as hell call. And they, you know, bring out Roma Dunze, they fake it to the, to uh, Johnson on the belly give, and then flip it out to a Dunze busted ass around the edge. Hell of a play call. One of these coordinators has got to be able to have something like that or a few things like that in their bag in this game. What offensive coordinator do you trust a
4: little more? Oh, uh,
1: Grubbers. Is it Grub over Stein? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Grubby. it is Grub over Stein because Nick Saban wanted Grub. He didn't want Stein. It just, you know, it comes down to that for me. That, that The other thing is, like, people, uh, and Pete Thamel said this on ESPN. We'll get to break here in a moment, and then John Cadano will join us live from Allegiant Stadium. But Pete Thamel said, look, Oregon's a dink and dunk offense. That's what they are. And by the way, we'll play some sound from Thamel later. I'll tell you who he's picking in the game. It's not Oregon. But he's like, or- everyone knows Oregon's a dink and dunk offense. I'm like, all right. Well, is this the game they break character a little bit and kind of, you know, max protect and go down the field a few times? to Troy Franklin, who, by the way, got snubbed as a finalist for the Blitnikoff Award. He is not a finalist for the best receiver in the country. Like that's he, whack, man. That, that is, is whack. pretty whack. Meanwhile, Roman Dunze on the other side is. That's not. That, that's not that, whack. That is fair. But love, we're just getting started. Uh, 503-417-7575. Get in here. Get your prediction on the record for this game. I've got 34-24 Ducks. Steven's got
4: 42-20 Ducks.
1: 42-20 Ducks. We'll get John Catano's prediction on the other side, live from Allegiant Stadium, right here on the Bald Face Truth. All right, here we go. Oregon, Washington with kickoff just past 5 o'clock from Las Vegas, Allegiant Stadium. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano, but let's go live now to Allegiant Stadium, site of the last ever game in this year's conference. The final Pac-12 title game. John Cazzano's on the line. John, how are you? Set the scene for us for this final Pac-12 football game.
2: Well, my shoes are on the turf at Allegiant Stadium. I'm down on the field right now. Uh, Bo Nix in Oregon. I'm am standing on their side of the field as they warm up, and Bo Nix is about 10 yards from me, going through his pregame kind of warm up. He's not in pads yet. He's in a he's in a pair of shorts with some uh, tights and some green shoes, and he's got a a green hoodie on. But Bo Nix got his earbuds in, and he is warming up. And just a lot of atmosphere here, and a lot of fans outside the stadium. They're just starting to open the gates, and. Fans are coming into the stadium, but a lot of fans outside, about 50-50 in the parking lot with Washington fans and Oregon fans. So I just think it's going to be a, tr- a rare rivalry game that has sort of a real neutral feel to it. And, you know, I, I don't think we've ever seen this before in the history of this series, and we're going to get it today. That's a
1: really good point. 60 career starts for Bo Nix. This will be number 60. I can't imagine that uh, Oregon would when a quarterback other than Bo Nix in a spot like this was so much on the line.
2: Yeah. You look at that, but then you also look at, you know, the Washington side is busy pointing out that Bo Nix is zero and 10 against teams that are ranked high in the standings. And that comes from his time really at Auburn when he was struggling at Auburn there. But, you know, they're pointing out that, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't won a game like this before. And, you know, he gets the opportunity at this stage of his career. He's obviously older, more mature, got a lot of starts under his belt. I I think both these quarterbacks are are, going to play well tonight. You know, just questions about Michael Penix Jr.'s health. But, you know, you you have to think that Bo Nix is not the kind of guy, he's just not the kind of guy that makes mistakes. He has not hurt Oregon, only two interceptions, and really only one of those was his fault. The other was a pass that went off the hands of a receiver this season. So Bo Nix just doesn't hurt
4: you. Dan Lanning, 0-2 against Washington. We go back to the game in Seattle, you know, all the fourth down decisions. Do you think there's, a, there's an early fourth down in the game? He's going to second-guess himself and not uh, gonna go for it, or is he going to stick to his guns and be aggressive like he always is?
2: I think he's going to stick to his guns. I think, you know, there's a lot of us that have talked all week about, you know, would he kick a field goal early? Yeah, he probably would kick a field goal. But I think if he gets an opportunity in a fourth and one, fourth and two, he's going to say, hey, I have confidence in my team. The thing he has to be careful of in this game is not to let it be, you know, result in a stupid decision. You don't want to make a foolish strategy decision going for it, like from your own 29 or your own 30 in a, in a game. Because I think he's got the better team, guys. I think Oregon's playing better. You don't need to steal possessions in this game if you're Dan Lanning. You let your team go out and win this game, your team's good enough to beat Washington.
1: Meanwhile, if you're Kalen DeBoer, what are you thinking right now? I mean... You're the undefeated team. You've beaten these guys, and now you're 10-point dogs?
2: Yeah, I think Washington is really embracing that. Like, you know, that they are, you know, normally an undefeated team comes into a game like this, and you worry about a letdown. I don't think we'll see a letdown from Kalen DeBoer's team for that reason. I mean, it, it's just sheer disrespect when you look at that spread. And I watched the spread yesterday here in the Vegas sportsbooks as it swelled to 10 points, and I was just like, wow, at what point if you're Washington – So you just go, hey, you know, what do we have to do to give some respect? But, you know, you look at the way they win games, and they they win close. And they they really try to keep the game close and then lean heavily onto Michael Penix, Jr. And he has been very good in those close games. So Oregon's got to be mindful of not making this a one-possession game at the end where Washington's getting the ball. You know, if you learned anything from Week 7, it's you know, you want the ball in your hands, not Michael Penix, Jr.'s hands when the game's on the line.
4: Yeah, 19-game winning streak. I mean, it, they win for a reason, but I, I'm with you. I think that spread is about right. I think the spread is about right. Nine and a half seems seems good to me. I think Oregon's that good, you know, that much better of a team. You look at Bo Nix, you talk about the, the non-mistakes he makes. Two interceptions all season long. If Oregon wins this game, and let's just say Bo Nix has an average type of game, you know, one or two touchdowns, n- nothing spectacular, is he going to come away with the Heisman Trophy, or does he need a big game to kind of prove that he wins the Heisman Trophy this season?
2: I think, you know, I think that there's a chance Bo Nix could win the Heisman Trophy just with Oregon winning the game. But if he wants to leave no doubt, he has to come out and he has to be the reason they win the game. He needs another performance where he's got three plus touchdown passes, 300 yards, completing 75 to 80 percent of his passes. He does that with so many voters in other regions who haven't had a chance to see him play. He does that uh, with so many people watching and look out.
4: Do you, think, do you think the South, people in the South, hold hold it against him that he had to leave Auburn and he kind of underperformed there?
2: Yeah, I find that really interesting because I've talked to several voters in the South who will say he ran from SEC competition. And I, you could say the same thing about Jaden Daniels, couldn't you? Like, Jaden Daniels ran from the Pac-12, ran from the competition there. Like, <laughs> I, I think the, the thing that, that that's probably true is these guys have matured. They've both grown as players, they're better players now. They're playing in systems that are made for them, and you know I think too much gets made of that. But I do think that SEC thing could either really help Bo Nix in that maybe some SEC voters are tuned in and go, "Wow, he's really improved," and look at all the journey. Look at the journey he was on, and this is tremendous. Or they can't shake it from memory, knowing that he was a guy who struggled at the end at Auburn.
1: Talking to John Kazano, he's got feet on the ground, on the turf at Allegiant Stadium right now, just 90 minutes shy of kick between Oregon and Washington in the Pac-12 title game. John, who have you seen around Vegas uh, uh, so far this week? Uh, any George Kleofkoff sightings, Larry Scott sightings, Michael Scott sightings? I don't know. Who, who have you seen that you've uh, been able to talk to around, uh, around Pac-12 title week of note?
2: Well, George Klioskov, the Pac-12 commissioner, was on the field here just a bit ago. I don't see him now, but he is in the house. I'll be really curious to see how the fans of Oregon and Washington treat him when he goes to hand the trophy to whoever wins this game. He's going to do that trophy presentation. Uh, I would be very surprised if he is not booed. You know, I wrote today in my column that, you know, all 12 presidents and chancellors should be here. They should have to stand at midfield pregame and let the crowd just jeer at them. (laughs) And I had one of the Pac-12 presidents reach out to me and he gave you know texted me a uh, laughing emoji like you know we basically we deserve that like you know we blew it and now there's a sadness that is around this game as well being you know the final Pac-12 game as we once knew it Oregon and Washington in it but in the parking lot guys I ran into DJ Uyunglele the Oregon State quarterback who is now I guess going to jump into the transfer portal on Monday I talked to DJ for just a minute i congratulated him on a nice season, told him to stay in touch. Be curious to see where he ends up. Um, looks like Cam Ward is trying to tell the world that he may be headed to Oregon. So look out there. Like, could we see some Cam Ward at Oregon? What do you think about season? that? Um, what do you think about I that possibility? The is going to be opening, and it's going to be a big deal. But, you know, just you know, when I do my next hit, I can probably give you more of a flavor of who's down here on the field. What, what do you
1: think about a Cam Ward to Oregon possibility?
2: I, look, I like his game. I don't love it. You know, I think, I think he shows flashes of being the kind of quarterback that can take you to the next level. But, you know, I, I think a guy like uh, Dante Adams at UCLA probably has a brighter future and a higher ceiling. But, you know, if you're looking for a stopgap, ask for Bo Nix. Cam Ward's not a bad guy to have in your stable with the experience he's had and the weapons that he has.
4: And the transfer portal is so fascinating. I mean <laughs> then the you know rumors of Dante Moore going back to maybe Detroit, like at Michigan State, Jonathan Smith, or go to Michigan. I mean, just everywhere you look. Um, just craziness everywhere. But Trent Bray hired officially as the Oregon State head coach. Um thoughts on that it was the hire and then you know, Coordinator-wise, you know, he even talked about this how you know he can sell the defense. How important of an offensive coordinator hire is it going to be for Trent Bray in year one to keep the competition uh, for Oregon State? Because they they've made it clear they made it clear in the press conference they want to compete for the exp- one of the expanded bursts in the college football playoff. How important is that offensive coordinator hire going to be for Trent?
2: Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's everything. It's it's the same as you know Dan Lanning, a defensive-minded guy, having an offensive coordinator that. He could trust in Kenny Dillingham and now Will Stein. You need that complementary piece to be part of the puzzle and part of the equation. And I think for, uh, for, the, uh, for the Oregon State operation, you know, keep an eye on a guy like Ryan Gunderson, who has been at UCLA with Chip Kelly. Uh, you know, Gunderson, Oregon State ties through and through. He's ready for a coordinator position. You know, he could be the guy. Uh, I, would, I would assume that Trent Bray is familiar with Gundy. So keep an eye on him as a possibility there. And then what I would do if I was Oregon State is, you know, they're going to have the same salary pool. So it's about almost $5 million in assistant coach salary pool. I would go out and I would just try to get uh, gangbusters recruiters, spend on your recruiters. You need talent. You're going to need talent right away. On the bright side, the transfer same transfer portal that's killing you can help you. And, you know, if Oregon State plays that right, they're going to have a lot of opportunity for playing time, and hopefully uh, some NIL money to go along with it, but you know, for Oregon State, is it's they're in survival mode right now.
4: Speaking of survival mode with Oregon State, you know, it's kind of been, it's been announced that the uh, the formation, I guess, with the foundation with the Mountain West is going to be clear for next season, uh, but not after that. There's the deal on the table, but it hasn't been agreed to. Even Scott Barnes said that. You know, what you you've been saying this, you've been on it for a while, but uh, what do you think of the official announcement that they're going to have? You know, the um, the connection with the Mountain West going forward into next season.
2: Well, it works for both sides. It gives Oregon State and Washington State an ability to fill out their schedule. I know they're concerned about that. It gives them an additional six games. From an Oregon State standpoint, they've got Purdue on the schedule. Scott Barnes is saying that you know, they're going to play Washington State. That's another Power 4, Power 5 game. And then, then he's going to go out and he's going to hunt for other Power 5 conference games. One of them could be the Civil War continuing. Keep an eye on that. Also could be a chance that, you know, Stanford or Cal ends up playing against Oregon State. So keep an eye on those things as well. But, you know, this to me is the best-case scenario for Washington State and Oregon State. They're buying themselves a little time. They are not committing to being a full-fledged member of the Mountain West. This is not a merger. It's a scheduling partnership. So they're keeping it at arm's length.
4: Do you think that... Because the clarity now is good, right? It's good to have clarity, but does being associated with the Mountain West instead of a Pac-12 or a Power 4 conference, does that affect the transfer portal a lot for Oregon State? Because you said that can really I help. It them. affects
2: fan support, but I think it's going to be really important that Oregon State does a lot of marketing and a lot of selling and a lot of promoting of what the plan is. Because, you know, there are some people out there that think this is a merger and, oh, they just joined the Mountain West. No, they need to make clear, like, this: Oregon State and Washington State's plan may be to never join the Mountain West. It may just be that they play a season or two. They hope that college football has another round of realignment, and they hope that they can get out and that they can uh, turn this and parlay this into membership in a Power 4 conference.
1: What's your feeling on Aiden Child's next steps?
2: I believed all along that he's with Jonathan Smith, that he wasn't really committed to Oregon State, that it was more of a commitment to the coaching staff. So I would be surprised if he did not follow Jonathan Smith. But I also know that if – Guys like Cam Ward are going to jump into the portal and get seven figures. That's seven figures out there for Aiden Childs as well. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what his family does. I just remember when, back in August, I reached out to his mother, Nikki, when the whole Pac-12 thing was imploding. And I kind of trying to gauge, you know, what was Aiden's commitment to Jonathan Smith and the program. And the messaging that I got was, in Jonathan we trust. Like, we're with Jonathan. It wasn't necessarily Oregon State. Now, you know, that's not to say he's not, he wouldn't stay at Oregon State if, if the NIL deal was, was right and he felt good about it. But I would be a little surprised if he didn't seriously consider leaving and going to Michigan State on Monday. But we'll keep an eye on it like everybody else.
1: We'll get you out on this, and we'll look forward to connecting with you next hour as well, John. And thanks for joining us from the field at Allegiant Stadium. That's that's epic stuff. But is there also some emotion around both fan bases that you can feel around the, the finality of everything? I mean, you, you talk about George Glyovkov and, and the presidents and George being there to hand out this trophy at the end of it. But can you feel a, a sense of finality among the fan base and almost a, uh, wow, I can't believe... I can't believe this is it, kind of way, because that's kind of how I feel right about now.
2: Yeah, I got a, you know, I got an interesting message from uh, for, former state senator Peter Courtney just a few minutes before I made this call. He left me a voicemail saying, you know, he, he wasn't sure he, he could even watch the game, and you know, he'll watch it. But he, he was speaking, I think, for a large segment of the audience that is saying that, that you know, you simultaneously couldn't wait for this game to get here, but you also didn't want it to get here because it does signal the end of something that we all knew and and lasted for 108 years and you know i think that the oregon and washington fan bases will be distracted here for three or four hours while this game is being played but i think a lot of the country and a lot of people tuning in and watching are going to be thinking about the finality of this and what college athletics is going to look like in five years and there's a lot up in the air still
1: it's good stuff john we'll talk to you again in about 40 minutes we appreciate it
2: sounds great thank you guys
1: Live from Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Dad, you can't get that anywhere else. Namesake of the show, bringing us uh, the latest, about 10 yards away from where Bo Nix is warming up for the biggest game of his life.
4: Yeah, right before uh, Bo Nix wins the Heisman Trophy. How about that? That's what I'm thinking.
1: <laughs> I might be a little biased, Judo, but, uh, you know. Latest odds on that, by the way. Bo is minus 200. Jaden Daniels, plus 160. And Michael Penix Jr., plus 16
4: yeah, I don't think Penix has any chance.
1: He's going to New York, though, right? Right. I think it's those three guys: Marvin Harrison Jr. going to New York. I don't think
4: so. I think it's just the three quarterbacks, don't you? And then oh, I, I, I just, I don't even see a scenario. I guess there'd be a scenario where if Penix has five touchdowns and throws a game-winning touchdown or something. Maybe he's back in it, but I, I don't see that. Either. I think it's, I think it's Daniels or Knicks. I think Bo Nix. he has a good game and the Ducks win, it's it, it's his to it's his to lose.
1: I also forgot that George Klavkov is going to hand out the trophy at the end of the game.
4: He's kind of gone radio silent. I feel like I would too. Then he's making his making the debut back out there. He well, better get booed.
1: He. uh remember when Larry got booed a few years ago? I think that was the 19 game in Santa Clara, and he got booed, and rightfully so. George is going to George is. Gonna I know I'm going to be
4: booing when I watch him on TV.
1: Yeah, well, thumbs down. Two thousand like
4: the <laughs> the Mets fan just.
1: To, exactly. The posttown Mets fan. Five oh three-four one seven seventy five seventy-five. Uh that was John Cazzano live from Allegiant Stadium. We'll catch up with him again at around uh, four twenty or so next hour. Bounce a break, come back, whip around some other headlines, and keep a preview. previewing Oregon and Washington, the number five team in the country against the number three team in the country, and number five is a heavy favorite. Go figure. And we'll chat some playoff scenarios along the way. Junior Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano right here on The Bald-Face Truth. Welcome into The Bald-Face Truth. We just talked to John Cazzano from Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. He'll join us again in hour number two with some of the latest uh, things that he's looking at out there. All three of us picking the Oregon Ducks to beat the Washington Huskies. What's your prediction? 503-417-7575. And you can also tweet at 750 the game. Got a a whole range of predictions uh, out of some of the guys from ESPN, and we'll play some of that sound here, including uh, what uh, Desmond Howard was laying out with Washington's approach to this game with Oregon.
5: You're the coaching staff. You're looking like, hey, what, we're the underdog? Like, that's a yeah. rallying cry. We beat these guys earlier this season, and now no one gives us a chance, and now we got our guy, Michael Penix Jr., There's questioning, is he, is he sick? Was he dehydrated? What's going on? I think that their defense is going to show up in a big way. The running game is getting stronger. I like the balance now that you see with Dylan Johnson with the Huskies. So, personally, I think this is going to be another dogfight. This is going to be the Pac-12 version of a heavyweight match.
1: Pete Thamel, the latest on what he's hearing with Michael Penix Jr.'s
6: health. Well, it was a weird scene, obviously. He did not watch them kick the game-winning field goal in the Apple Cup. And then when he was kind of escorted off the field, Jen, there was like a jacket over his head. I called a couple sources in Seattle this week just to kind of check in on Michael Penix. And they told me that he's completely fine, completely healthy. Uh, They've won essentially seven straight one-possession games. And he obviously didn't play great in the Apple Cup. So I just think there's been a crush of emotion on Michael Penix. I, I was told he had like a little bit of cold flu stuff, which, you know, it just happens this time of year, especially yeah. in Seattle where, where yeah. you live. But I was told he is completely healthy, he is fine, and he is he is ready to go tonight in Vegas.
1: There are those out there that really think Washington can win this football game and a couple picks that Washington will win this football game. And we'll have that audio a little bit later on in the show as well. Dude, it's
4: just so fascinating that nobody knows if Michael Pennix is healthy, if he's sick,
1: if he's hurt. Nobody knows anything. I mean, it's 2023. Don't we? Shouldn't we have this down by now? We should know what's going on with these guys. I mean, I you know. I, I mean, come on.
4: There needs to be injury reports in college football. There's yeah, got to be,
1: right? There's so much lying going on. It's unbelievable. What's your What do you think? Is I mean, is it an oblique? I'm sure he was sick. He was probably sick. He was banged up against Oregon. You. And he was probably banged up against Washington because they had.
4: Oh, remember, Washington had that. F- they went for it on fourth yes. down inside the five yard line. They ran it. They ran four straight plays. They did not put it in their Heisman Trophy candidate's hands. Like to me, that screams that something was wrong. Then he kind of limped off the field, but. I don't know. Then he came back in. And then he 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 threw a dime to win the game.
1: You should get shot up with whatever you need to get shot up with, and then you're fine. Like, I don't know. Now we got people, boots on the ground in Vegas, that say he's not out there warming up yet. (laughs) Yeah. We're about an hour away from kickoff, a little bit over an hour away from kickoff. Is he going to play? <laughs> I mean, I think I, right. He's got to play, but it's just he. Th- then someone dimes at of Roma Dunes. Like I don't know. I don't I know what to good. think about and Michael. It's the one thing about Utah. Even if he's not a hundred percent, they're still good enough that they can score on almost any play. You know, like just give them enough time and give the receivers enough time. They can dunk on anybody. They can win any ball. It's like. Even if they don't have sustained offense, they still got explosive capabilities enough to make this an interesting game. And he, that is what makes it an and interesting And the emergence
4: of Dylan Johnson, too. Like that,
1: Johnson as well. That opens it up just even more to the passing game where so you have what, to respect it. What do you it. make of the fact that Oregon has smashed all these opponents that Washington has struggled with? See, I, I, or that, played in close games. Like I, I don't want to say transitive property here, but U struggled with a lot of these guys that Oregon has just had no problems with whatsoever. I mean,
4: Oregon. You go back and watch the game at Stanford. Like Stanford had the fourth down where they dropped a wide open pass, and that could have won the game. That could have won the game. The Washington State game this last week, I watched a lot of that game because you know I said I think Washington State was live to win. They should have won that game.
1: Um, is it better that Washington is undefeated though? Just for, like, you know, it 100%. makes them almost... They didn't get a loss out of their system, you know? They, if they were a one-loss team right now, say they lose the Stanford game, where do you think they're ranked? Right around 9, 10. Even though they beat Oregon. Yeah. Because no one believes Oregon's one loss was... But then, you know, is Oregon as, as high as they are? Probably, I think so. You, I think you so. Think, oh, yeah, they, I, I, the I the Oregon b- there'd be more conversation around Texas. I right. I, that's right. That's true. But I,
4: the way Oregon has smashed people, like... The the final score hasn't really indicated what the actual game was, right? I, I, in the Oregon games, I feel like Oregon could have put it on a lot of these teams, and they they just you know put took took their foot off the pedal.
1: <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know what to think. How much do you? You're a football guy more than I am. I'm a you, massive football guy. Well, you, I mean, you you're definitely. I mean, we spend all of our time off air but, talking football. But I would say and you're more of, you're more a
4: football guy. A like you're baseball. you're
1: a football dude. Yeah.
4: How much do you take into account of Washington wins a lot of close games? Yeah. How important is that going into games like this where Oregon blows everybody out? They haven't really been tested at the end of games except for that Texas Tech game, which they did. In their defense, no, huge they pulled it out, win. but you look at Washington, they've won a game-winning field goals, even against Oregon. How much does that affect, like, your thought presence yeah. going into this game? The fact that this—Vegas
1: says it's not supposed to be a close game. That's the thing. Vegas says that has no—like, ma- no, it doesn't well, matter at all. To me, it's all about what, what's the flow of the game, game flow, you know? That, that's one of the things that I look at. Washington wins a lot of games. Not where they, you know, spot teams big leads and then come back and win close games. No, that doesn't happen. They let teams hang around, and they they either don't pull ahead from. Like look look at the Utah game. Like Utah consistently stayed in the game until they they couldn't. Apparently they couldn't score in the second half. I still don't know how Utah couldn't score in the second half of that game. But Utah was consistently in that game. But Washington just eventually were, was too much for Utah. And you got to credit Washington's defense. It does feel like Washington's defense. Gets better as the game goes on as well. Like, they ended up playing a good second half against Utah. They played, obviously, strong against Arizona State, even though there was a missed defensive pass interference, and then it followed up by a pick six. Washington's defense has made some big plays. Like, this is not a Jimmy Lake defense, and I mean that uh, in a positive way toward Jimmy Lake. He is a hell of a defensive coordinator and, and knew how to coach up a strong defense. Like, they've had NFL dudes at corner, you know, for a long time between... Uh, for Trent McDuffie and, and a couple of other guys that have come through there. Kyler Gordon, who's with the, the Bears now. They've had safeties that have played good ball and are in the NFL now. But at the same time, I don't, this Husky defense doesn't have those guys on the field, but they, they play better ball than, than we think. I just think, like, this game could go one or two ways. If it's a close game for 55 minutes, yeah, advantage Washington because they've been there, done that, and they know how to seal the deal in the last waning moments, whereas Oregon really hasn't. But I think we'll know by halftime what kind of game this is supposed to be, right? That's the thing. I think the first half of this game will dictate the outcome. Because if Oregon's up by two scores by halftime, this thing's over and they're going to run away with it. I don't think they're going to let Washington crawl back into it unless it's like a backdoor cover situation like we saw against USC and like we saw against a couple of other teams, Washington State this year. But if it's close at halftime, I think it will be probably close for the full game as well. And we're getting a little bit of updates here of uh,
4: who's out there for warmups. ups uh, Oregon receiver Gary Brighton Jr., he is out there for warmups, so it looks like he may be good to go. But uh, Jaleel Florence, the starting quarterback, was not seen on out of the field, so uh, he seems unlikely to play.
1: So that's not surprising to me. So now Dante Manning steps up at the second corner spot. Maybe a little Nico Reed. Uh, maybe we'll see the, the safeties, you know, maybe they'll play more three safety looks as well. Uh, but this is going to be a test for Oregon. And I think that first half, you know, first few drives of the game, it's going to matter a lot. It's going to dictate a lot about what's, what uh, is going to come up here. Kickoff in a little over an hour. We'll bring you hour two of the Bald-Face Truth next right here on the BFT Radio Network. BFFT.
0: Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball Ball faced
1: faced true. John Canzano joins us again live from Las Vegas in 20 minutes. Do not miss it. He joined us from the field of Allegiant Stadium in hour one. He was about 10 yards away from Bo Nix doing his warm-ups and getting ready, and John will join us again coming up in about 20 minutes' time in hour number two. Steven, we're about an hour away from kickoff as well of this one. Ducks and the Huskies, we've talked all week. Is that betting line accurate? Where is that coming from? Was that publicly inflated to, to 9.5 or 10? And here we go. The line still hasn't moved from about 9.5 or 10 points. What are the factors that are going into where that line is right now? And I know that you think it's a fair line. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because I was
4: looking at it last week. And I was literally looking on, like, as the line came out, and it was seven and a half, and I thought, all right, that's weird. I clicked on it, and it had gone up to eight and a half. Like, literally right then on the spot, all the money came in at Oregon at that number, and it just came in fast and furious uh, all the way up to 10. And now it's kind of getting a little buyback from Washington. So I think it's fair. I-, I think Oregon is the better team, even though these two have played on the field. But I think that was so long ago. You look at college football. Things change so quickly. And guys get so much better, and things improve. Things you know get worse. I think right now this is fair at nine and a half. But you're right. Washington has figured out a way to win all season long. Yeah. And if you're Oregon, you got to strike early. You don't want to go into the final quarter where you're down or it's a tie ball game because at that point, that's what Michael Penix is more comfortable. And he, he proved that against Oregon in the first game when he had to drive down the field. You know, it went, took two plays. They got down the entire field. So. I think if you're Oregon, you got to get out on them early. I, I would love to see, if you're the Ducks, I would love to see a methodical first drive like they had against the Beavs. Eight minutes long, just prove it, go physical on them, and say, you know what, we're the better team, we're the more physical team, you have no chance tonight. i would be great to see if you're a Duck fan. I, I, I kind of expect that to happen. I don't expect like a lot of you know big plays on the Ducks. I think it's going to be slow, methodical, keep panics off the field, but use their physicality to their advantage.
1: 2019 Pac-12 title game, Oregon was a 6.5-point underdog. And just took Utah to the woodshed. And C.J. Verdell ran for over 200 yards. Justin Herbert had some big moments rushing with his legs as well. And Oregon won that game. 37-15 spoiled Utah's chances to go to the college football playoff. 2020, I believe Washington was supposed to be playing in the Pac-12 title game, but they got... Uh, COVID, and they, all their team was not available to play, uh, so they had to pull it out. USC went to the game instead. Obviously, that was a weird year in general. You can almost throw it out, except for the fact that Oregon, you know, they won it again, and they beat USC, and they beat them convincingly in that Pac-12 championship as well. 2021, Oregon got housed by Utah looking for revenge. Now, we said earlier, it, Mario was one-and-a-half steps all the way to South Beach by that point. And so you kind of throw that one out the window because your head coach was checked out. I think Beaver fans could say, yeah, that's what happens when your coach is checked out in a big game. Uh, You're going to lose, and you're going to lose by a lot, just like uh, seven days ago. Now Oregon's got to, like, Dan Landing is secure in in his role. He's secure in who he is. He's got a quarterback making his 60th start in major college football with Heisman Trophy hopes against your rival, whom you don't want to go 0-3 against, and you certainly don't want to lose to again as a double-digit favorite, or at least a two-score favorite to Washington. This game has massive implications for Dan Lanning and massive implications for Bo Nix, but I agree with you, Stephen. It seems like you'll get a feel for what kind of game this will be early. If the Ducks are jumping on the Huskies and kind of got that defense by the throat and are having their way with them, then it's going to be Oregon, and it's going to be Oregon by a lot. If this game is close at halftime, Tell me what you think. I think that means it's probably going to be close deep into the fourth quarter, and and UW will probably prefer that type of game flow because guess what? They've done that. If there's anything Oregon's offense has been and Bo Nix has been in particular, it's been they've, they've had control. Washington is clutch. Oregon's in control, but Washington is clutch. And if there are clutch moments to be had in this game, advantage Washington. And they've got a chance to do that. But I, I think it'll be close throughout if it's a close game at halftime. At the end of the day, I do think Oregon's control is going to be more than Washington's clutch factor. I think Oregon's going to be in control of this game. They'll probably be up by a score, maybe two scores at halftime. And I think they'll continue that uh, for the duration of this game. They might, they, you, Will they have a lead of three touchdowns at some point in this game? Oh... Yeah, I think. So. I mean, I guess you, that's. Your I think that's so. score. So
4: yeah, I, I think that they will. I, I think Oregon handles them, but you're right. Like Washington, they have played a lot better defensively. But we just talked about the improvement. Improvements teams make throughout the season. The Washington defense has improved a lot since the start of the season, even a lot since that game in Seattle. And you look right at Braylon Trice. You know that the pass rusher in Washington. He's been getting after the quarterback. Five sacks on the season. He's caused a lot of havoc. But you know what? He has uh Doing my math right now in my head, he has four sacks in the last five five games against teams. And I think right now, if you want to get Bo Nix uncomfortable, somehow you got to get pressure. And I think it starts with him. So, is the Washington defense for real? Have they improved that much where they are a force to be reckoned with, or is it going to be like they were in the first game where it was a bend don't break? Right. right. You know, they got they let Oregon get some yards and then they stuffed them down there. You know, fourth down they made some plays. If that happens again tonight, I think Oregon is going to capitalize. And they're going to win by easy easy double digits. But if that uh, defense has improved enough, that's where Washington gets their hopes up.
1: 503-417-7575, get your predictions in with us right here on the show. And John Cazano will join us again in about 15 minutes from Las Vegas. In the meantime, let's play some Punch Audio, the best sound from all around. <laughs>
7: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish
0: Truth headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
3: You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey,
0: it's time for Punch It Audio,
1: presented by
0: First Call Heating and Cooling.
1: So Chris Fowler is going to have the play-by-play for this game on ABC. He was with Rich Eisen, both he and Holly Rowe, who will be doing the sideline reporting for this game. They said something similar about what Dan Lanning told them and why the Ducks are feeling confident going into this game. I'll play both of these clips, starting with Fowler. Punch it.
8: I have a couple of things. One, they've done an amazing job getting this team physically ready. We had our meetings yesterday. You know how everything is analyzed and all the data points are put together for how fast a guy runs in practice, how high he jumps, what he's doing in the weight room. It's normal to have teams wear down in the regular season. 13 games in, it's it's very, very difficult to have guys running faster now than they have, lifting more now than they were. And that's where Oregon is. Somehow they've stayed really fresh, energized. I sense they do have a little more juice, a little more fuel in the tank than Washington does. Both of them have played eight straight weeks since that first meeting in Seattle, which was one of the, my favorite games of the season. And and since then, it's been a grind. No virtual buys, no off weeks to play at FCS team. It's been Pac-12 competition, high stress games every week, and somehow Oregon has come out of this thing looking really bouncy and ready to go. And and they've, they've got Bo Nix, and they've got a very balanced team. I think they feel like talking about Sundays. They they are better at the line of scrimmage than Washington. That's what they think. They thought they were in the first game and lost despite that. They think that it'll it'll be the difference. Round
1: two. So, Fowler is talking about how the Ducks physically are feeling good. They've got more energy, they've got more juice. This was Holly Rose report on SportsCenter. Punch it.
3: They actually had some really interesting choices in that game. There were fourth downs that they chose to go for it on and didn't get. They were 0 for 3 on fourth down in that game. Dan Lanning has admitted that he will make better decisions this time around, but that game was very close. We did the game. And that game could have gone either way. It came right down to a field goal attempt at the end. But here's something interesting that Oregon coach Dan Lanning has done this week that I find fascinating. is He has pointed out the trends in how Oregon's offense and team is trending upwards while Washington's offense and team has trended downwards statistically. He's also brought up points like hey, our GPS numbers are the fastest they've been all season. Our force plate jumping numbers after practice, the fastest and highest they've been all season. So he's trying to get his team to believe that since that loss, their only loss of the year, they've only gotten better, and that will make this rematch much more interesting.
1: Tracking GPS data and, and force plate data, Stephen. The Ducks, they've just got more juice than the Huskies in this game. The technology. technology
4: <laughs> that the Ducks have is better than the Huskies. I, do, I did find it interesting, though, Judah, what Holly Rowe said, and even what John said when I asked him about the decisions that Dan Lanny makes, they both said he's going to make smarter decisions. I disagree. I don't. I thought they were all smart decisions in the first game. Do you think do they're you think at the a, very
1: least debatable? But do you think the, the one at the end of the half is debatable to me?
4: But do you think if he gets an early fourth and three at about you know the fifty yard line, is he going to punt it or is he going to stay aggressive and go for it? I think I think it says a lot with how he is.
1: He's going I, for
4: it. I think he's going for it, but at the same time. Is he going to play the whole second-guessing game? Because he got second-guessed a lot in that game, and they ended up losing for the second time to Washington. I don't know, man. I I think that's a real big storyline going in. If the Huskies can force Lanning to make these decisions, maybe it is where Kalen DeBoer is proven to be a better in-game coach than Dan Lanning.
1: It's one thing to do it at the 50. It's another thing to do it twice inside the
4: 10. And it's also one thing to do it in the Pac-12 title game
1: yeah. with, the, with, the, with the college bowl playoff hopes on the line. Against your rival as a 10-point favorite, a game that you're really not supposed to lose. By I'm, the way, I'm fascinated by that. If yeah. he gets these fourth and shorts, it's not like they're kicking games anything to, to speak hold Right, oh, that's true. That's it's kind of rough, too. This was Dan Lanning, by the way, with Holly Rowe just moments ago on
3: ESPN. Well, Coach Dan Lanning, you know, it was such a close game in Washington the first time you met this season. What do you consider to be the things that have to be different tonight to get the win? Yeah, we got to win critical
9: situation situations. Um, two really good teams playing each other. Our guys have prepared really well this week. I think that preparation
4: is going to pay off in the game.
3: I love some of the things you've told us about how you're motivating your team this week. What do you think is the most important message that you've delivered throughout the course of this week so they're ready for this championship moment? Yeah, play the game, not the occasion, right? There's a lot of emotions in this game. It's going to be about execution, right? Not emotion. Your quarterback, Bo Nix, told us that he's been working on being focused and not getting overexcited for this big moment. What have you seen from his leadership and his performance at practice this week that lets you know he's ready to do just that?
9: Yeah, this guy's dialed. He's ready to go. You know, he's been in a lot of high-pressure situations before, but I'm excited to see him perform tonight.
3: Thank you so much, Coach. Appreciate it, Holly.
1: Meanwhile, Caitlin DeBoer talked about Michael Penix Jr. with Holly Rowe.
8: Yeah, it's, you know, all the things that he's been through in his entire career, you know, and just, you know, stay stay focused and and be in the moment and, uh, you know, I mean, the talent, the skills all there, um, you know, from his standpoint, now it's just a matter of processing and going and making the plays.
1: All right, so physical, you know, status aside, Stephen, which quarterback's in a better position to come out and have a great game tonight? Is it Penix or Knicks?
4: I think it's Knicks. Um... I think the I still don't trust the Washington defense as much as I trust the Oregon defense, and, and I know Dylan Johnson has played a lot better the last few games. But I trust Bucky Irving, Press Jordan, trust Jordan James. That running game is going to open it up more for Bo Nix rather than have where Michael Penix I think he has to do a lot more uh, with with the, with the passing game. I think Bo Nix he gets everything given to him because he has such a good offensive line, such a good running game. It makes it a lot easier. So I'll take Nix in this one.
1: Herb Street, Kirkers given the path for Washington to beat Oregon. How are they going to do it? Punch it.
10: I think I think you've got to hope, if, if you're a Washington fan, that, that this offense gets going and has balance, and, and they're able to get McMillan going in that slot to help out with the shots downfield.
7: Because you can move the ball on Oregon. They're an aggressive team. They're going to challenge you. They're not afraid to leave guys on islands. And you can ask Brock or any quarterback, your eyes light up, you know, and... There'll be big opportunities just like there were in that first matchups.
1: That was uh, Kirk Street with Brock and Sulk on Seattle Sports. Meanwhile, College Football Live on ESPN, Desmond Howard, Stanford Steve, and Pete Thamel making their picks for the Ducks and the Huskies. Oh, yeah, Oregon is favored by 9.5 or 10 points but don't tell that to Desmond Howard. Punch it. I'm going
5: to go against the grain. I'm going to go against Vegas. I'm going with the Huskies. They're going to play a disrespected card. I like Dylan Johnson. He's running the ball extremely well now, and they know that they can beat Oregon because they did earlier this season. So I'm going with the Huskies. I'm going to say Washington – Covers. (laughs) Covers oh,
7: <laughs> keeps
6: it close, not covers. outright, not outright. Win. All right,
5: I do
7: think Oregon has enough offensively and defensively. I think they win the game.
6: Pete, You got to pick. I think Washington wins, and I think they win for a simple reason: Oregon's offense is dink and dunk, dink and dunk. Yeah. You guys remember watching that yeah. in Seattle? They took, they didn't exactly. take any shots down the field. Oh, Never mind, hit any shots down the field. I think if Jalen McMillan comes back and is the kind of receiver we saw earlier in the year, which he hasn't been, no, nope. Washington has
1: a great chance. All right. Steven, does it give you any pause that two of the three experts, Capital E experts, Desmond Howard and Pete Thamel, are picking Washington to win the game?
4: Makes me like my pick more of Oregon. Uh, <laughs> that, that's just me, though. Uh, I also like the Stanford Steve picked the spread with Washington. No one picked Oregon with the spread, so it makes me feel good. Um, here's my thing, though, with Pete Thamel's comment of you know, Bo Nick's and Oregon's dink and dunk. Dink and dunk, dink and dunk. It's worked all season. Why would, they, why would they throw downfield if it works every single time and they win games doing it? Like, you're saying it's a negative? It works. Like, keep doing it. I, I do think that the Washington defense is going to try to force Knicks to throw the ball down the field, right? But that's easier to say than to actually do it. Will Stein's going to have some things drawn up. Nick's has proven to be able to throw the ball down the field somewhat. He makes hey, plays outside the pocket. So. Texas
1: Tech game hit a bomb to Troy Franklin. Last week on the Arizona State run. game hit a bomb to, to Franklin again. Yeah, exactly. Last week as well. He, he's he got that in him. The, like, the idea that he can't throw it down the field or doesn't want to. Like, it just to is me, it's just it's, false. Yeah, it's not, it's not right. The Arizona State game, you look up, he's got four touchdowns at halftime, and a lot of it's easy throws that the guys are busting for big gains and touchdowns. Like, what? So we're going to hold that against Bo Nix and just say, oh, he's not throwing deep. I guess he can't do it. I that, that's totally false.
4: I, I agree with that. And so, like, for that reason, like, I think he's going to make a couple throws down the field. I think Washington's going to make him prove it. They're going to put in some single coverage to Troy Franklin. And Franklin's going to make a play because that's what they do. And so I, I, I don't I don't agree with what their their thought processes is on how Washington's going to win this game.
1: Well, how about Chris Peterson? He goes on the record on uh, Seattle Sports and says, this is how Washington can beat Oregon. Punch it. When
10: I think about um, the game I don't necessarily, and, and how they have to beat Oregon, I, there's two things that jump out into my mind. I don't necessarily think so much about Penix, although he does have to play super really well. I think about those three receivers. Mm-hmm. since like the middle of the season having all three shown up together injuries etc Rome has been consistent and spectacular but Jalen Polk needs to play his best Jalen and who now looks healthy like to me that was a big difference early on those guys were like rocking and rolling and then they start playing better teams and all those type of things and and, and all three of them have not been that three-headed monster coming at you and if that can happen I, I kind of like their, their chances. The second thing I think has to happen, you know, Oregon's run game. That's what I keep thinking about. Bo Nix is, you know, playing as good as anybody in the country, and, you know, he may be the Heisman front runner. But I think about tackling and tackling those running backs, Bucky Oregon and Jordan James. Those defense is going to have to have their best game of the season tackling
1: That is true. you got you got to bring your tackling with you. Steven, this could be a game that it's a Bucky Irving game as well. And like with all the talk and Heisman hype around Bo Nix, you could be looking up and seeing, oh, it was Bucky who really controlled this game from start to finish. Yeah, and Bucky's
4: one of those guys that, you know, he, he takes pride in not going down with the first tackle. And he's struggled the last few games. He hasn't really had big game since that USC game when he ran for 100, 100 plus yards. He's been under, uh, you know, under 100 yards, you know, the last four or five games before that. I think you're right. I think this is a game where maybe Bucky gets back on track. And then also, I think, look out for Bo Nix to run the football as well. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the first hour. Bo Nix really hasn't had to run the football this season. It's one of those things where Oregon has done this in the past with Justin Herbert, let him let him loose. I think Bo Nix may get loose on a couple runs tonight. Uh, just kind of, you know, show him a little bit of a different wrinkle so Washington's not ready for it.
1: Where's Bo's over-under rushing? I think I said it was, uh, it was like 15. 15, okay. All right.
4: But it was minus 130 at 15 plus. So I think that's a good bet.
1: I like it. Uh, Finally, Heather Dinich lays out the college football playoff implications for Washington and Oregon tonight. Punch it.
11: Start with Washington because that should be a simple win and you're in. But if they lose a close game, I wouldn't entirely rule out the possibility that they could still sneak in because they would have a regular season win against the Pac-12 champs. It would be a similar situation to what happened last year when TCU got in without winning the Big 12 because they beat K state during the regular season and k-state won the big 12 so they would need multiple upsets to happen in order for that scenario to play out texas would have to lose florida state would have to lose and georgia would have to eliminate alabama even then it wouldn't be a guarantee washington would be in a debate with ohio state as far as oregon it seems like the ducks should be a lock with a win especially if it's a convincing win that way they prove to the selection committee that they're better than that regular season loss and they avenged it the reason I hesitate to say they are a concrete lock is because if Texas wins and Alabama wins and Florida State wins someone has to be left out do Georgia and Alabama both get in Alabama and Texas both get in somebody is going to be mad
1: in that last part that last part is why I think it's important for Oregon to dominate this game and not just win by a field goal. You don't want to give this committee any any room for errors. You don't want there to be an undefeated Florida State, a one-loss Texas, a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Georgia, and a one-loss Oregon. And then you look at Oregon, and they barely beat U-Dub when they're supposed to beat them by ten. You, you don't you want to the, avoid that if at all possible. The Texas part does that actually scare you? The only
4: part that scares me is that if Alabama wins. That Alabama and Georgia would both be. But I don't see to any scenario where the committee, no matter how bad Texas beats Oklahoma State, if that happens, that they're going to move Texas over Oregon.
1: You and I have uh, well, you have flipped but you flipped since earlier in the week. Then
4: no, I mean you, there, you there's a legitimate worry. There's a legitimate uh, worry if Alabama
1: wins. No, but you were on Texas earlier in the week you were you, you seem to think that Texas could I feel maybe like be taking over be. At Oregon, but they, they won't. They, they won't they I, all year, they won't now. See,
4: I would see I rank Texas a little higher than what the committee does. Like I think the win you in Alabama. Yeah. yeah, I think they're better, but I don't think they're getting the credit where I you know so I'm I'm with you on Who that. Who do you part.
1: think wins the Bama Georgia game? <laughs> McElroy picks Bama. I think Georgia wins. I think Georgia wins. I hope they do. That's punching audio, by the way, right here as we uh, get closer to the final Pac-12 title game. That's obviously a tough one. If you're a Duck fan, you're going to be locked into your TV and uh, maybe you're you're someone that can keep your emotions in check or maybe you're, you know, yelling with every play. That's more like me uh, with the Seahawks game. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> and then you're going to have to watch the SEC title game tomorrow, 1 o'clock, by the way, at 12th. 12.30 pregame, 1 o'clock kick that we have on 7.50 The Game, the flagship of the Bald Fish Truth Radio Network, and 7.50thegame.com from Westwood One. But that Bama-Georgia game, that, that should be a really, really good game, and I could see it going anyway. I could see both teams winning by blowouts. I could see either team winning by a close game, but, you know... That Bama-Auburn finish was pretty epic in its own right, and it sets up for a pretty wild SEC title game. We'll bounce a break, and when we come back, we'll go back to Allegiant Stadium once more in Las Vegas, Nevada, under an hour away from kickoff, and we'll talk to John Kazano for a final time ahead of Oregon and Washington. Pac-12 championship, college football playoff on the line, Heisman Trophy uh, odds as well. Kazano joins us next right here on the BFT. All right, let's go back out to Las Vegas in Allegiant Stadium. Judah newbie Stephen Vaughn will be joined by the namesake of this show, John Kinzano, once again. John, how you doing, and what's the feeling inside the stadium?
2: Well, the teams are on the field now, Judah, and they're in uniform. Fans are jazzed. There's a lot of, a lot of fans already in the building, about 47 minutes to kick off here, but I'm down standing on the Oregon warm-up side of the field. The Ducks are just kind of going through their progressions and their pregame warm-ups. They're in full uniform. But the interesting thing that, that I noticed right away is, you know, the Ducks came out of the tunnel today in a very different way than they did in Week 7 against Washington. I was standing on the field at Husky Stadium when they came out, and it was a lot of emotion. They were very fired up, maybe too much emotion. There's heavy emotion here, but very, very much more business-like this time around. I don't see... The yelling and screaming, it's just sort of like a business trip for the Ducks. It's really an interesting twist from Week 7.
1: I know uh, you were next to Bo Nix when he was warming up. Uh, Any looks at, at Michael Penix Jr. out there as kickoff approaches?
2: Yeah, I walked down to the Washington side to watch him throw a little bit, and he does look a little ginger. I don't know if that's in my head because we're what we've talked about his ribs all week, but... You know he's got the flak jacket on as he did uh, throughout most of the second half of the season. Seems to be able to make all the throws, but you know I, I don't think we're really going to know until we see him a series or two into the game. Does Washington try to take some pressure off him and try to run the ball early? Do they uh, try to get the ball out of his hands quickly? Keep an eye on how, on the play calling and how they treat that because it may it may give us an indication as to his health.
4: What is uh, what's the fan situation looking like? Is it still is it still a fifty fifty type of crowd, or is there uh, one of the crowd fan bases getting a little bigger than the other?
2: Yeah, it's really going to be fifty fifty. It's it's just an unusual rivalry game in that you know normally we see this at Husky Stadium or Austin Stadium where it is a home crowd, but this one's going to be fifty fifty all the way. As I look around, I see about half the half the stands are purple, the other half are green, um, and just a lot of people standing and taking pictures and. You know, a lot of excitement still with 45 minutes to go before kickoff.
1: So I think of 2019 and the way that Oregon dominated Utah. I think of 2020 and the way they handled USC. I throw out 2021 because Mario was already, you know, a foot toward Coral Gables at that point. What kind of feeling do you get tonight, John? Is, is this just, I know it's a whole new regime and, and coaching staff, but does this feel like another spot where Oregon's going to play their best ball on the national stage like they have before?
2: I have to think so, and I think they need to, because in my mind, you know, this is not settled that the winner of this game is automatic to the playoff. Like, If Oregon wins this game, you, you really need Alabama to beat Georgia to remove all doubt, or Oregon has to win this game in a way that, that tells the committee, hey, you cannot leave this team out. This might be the best team in America. That's the kind of game that Oregon needs to play today.
4: How important is a win for Dan Lanning early on in his coaching career, having lost to Washington a few times? If Oregon can get a win, especially if they win by margin, you know, almost double-digit favorites, they win by double digits, does it really kind of right a lot of the wrongs that he's done so far uh, in those couple losses? Yeah,
2: I think it's the biggest game by far, without question. I think you have to think of that, and you have to know, you know we're watching the growth or the evolution of a head coach. We saw this before with Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly has some growing pains, too. He had some games where, especially game one, where his team didn't perform very well against Boise State in that, that opener that season. But we're, we're really looking for Dan Lanning, who is 15 and is 15-3, all-time at Oregon in conference games. You know, His only losses have come to Washington twice and Oregon State. This is the kind of game he's got to win to show that he is progressing. And, frankly, he outcoached himself in the first meeting between these two teams. Oregon should have won that game. We all know that. I think Washington knows that.
1: You know, I I was nitpicking Will Stein a little bit in that first game as well, John. Uh, What about the play callers? Uh, Ryan Grubb's a great one. Will Stein's been a very, very good one. What do you see in the play callers on the offensive sides tonight?
2: I'm really going to be curious to see if one or both of the coordinators tries to take some pressure off the quarterback and establish the run game first. Yeah, I think we've seen Oregon do that in some games where they'll go a little Bucky Irving heavy to start the game and then come back with Bo Nicks because it just, you know, it opens so much more up if you can establish the run game. So I'll keep an eye on that from Will Stein's perspective. You know, I just You know, the thing that I keep coming back to, you guys, is I think Oregon's the better team. I think they were the better team in Week 7. They don't need to try to steal possessions in this game. They don't need to go for it on fourth and four from their own 40. They don't need to not kick the field goal when it's in front of them. The better team should take the points, do what's natural. It will put a lot of pressure on Washington if Oregon just plays its game.
4: To that point, if Oregon doesn't have to make some plays, that would mean Washington does need to make some plays, especially defensively. Braylon tries to pass rush. He's been getting after the quarterback a lot lately, especially how how much of an effect do you think they can, Washington's pass rush can get on the Oregon offensive line and uh, you know pressure Bo Nixon to make it some, some errant throws?
2: Yeah, that's they're gonna have to, and nobody has done it to this point. I mean, the, I think the opposition has really struggled to get to bow because he gets rid of the ball fast, gets it out, and frankly, if you load up too much and you blitz too much, Oregon could kill you either in the pass game or the run game. That's that's really it creates a lot of problems. So you know, controlling the line of scrimmage very important to both teams. We'll find out early which way the piles are falling, but I'm I'm really looking at that and hoping that. Oregon cannot be one-dimensional in this game. They need to really be balanced, and they are the most balanced team, but let that balance shine.
1: We played some audio earlier in the show. Uh, Pete Thamel of ESPN and Desmond Howard uh, on the college football show. They're picking Washington to win, John. Uh, have you talked to anybody else out there around that that's given Washington a good chance to win this game? Because maybe I'm in an echo chamber, but everything I, I see and hear and people I talk to think this is a game that Oregon can win and maybe win going away.
2: Yeah, and I, I think sometimes the uh, the, the four-letter network panders to the bigger media market. That's They know where the TV sets are. So I think, you know, when I'm looking at this, I'll go back to the guy who we know to be the biggest Washington honk in the land. Who's the biggest— <laughs> Washington honking in the land, guys.
1: Dave Softy. Softy Mauler.
2: Okay, Softy, after the Week 7 win, came by me in the press box and leaned down to me as I was writing my column, and he said, Oregon is the better team. If any other coach had coached today, Oregon wins the game. I, I, Softy said that at Husky Stadium. You know, I think if you're looking at this one from a standpoint of who should we pick, Las Vegas has the Ducks as a 10-point favorite. Hard to go against that right now.
1: So are you saying it would be an embarrassment if Oregon loses this game?
2: I, yeah, yeah, it would be outright embarrassing. It would be an embarrassment. <laughs> now, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm down here in the field. I'm like five yards away from the Oregon uh, defensive line as they are warming up. These guys are all business, guys. Hmm. I'm telling you, it's not a lot of yelling and shouting and hype. It's just they're very business like and laser like focused as they have
1: been for about six weeks. It's a lot different. Remember the Mario Cristobal teams, like uh, the game in Pullman in 2018 yes. that you wrote about? Yeah. A little bit of a different vibe, huh?
2: Yeah. It is. I mean, there's, I don't see anybody shouting. I don't see anybody yelling. I don't see anybody jumping around. I'm, I'm looking into the eyes of these players. It's not apathy. It's just they are focused right now.
4: Sounds like a very confident group, uh, you know. Because Dan Landing, he he's known to be yelling and screaming, but if you know maybe that's the strategy this week is to keep it that way. So, uh, so what's what's your take, John? What's your pick in this game? Is it going to be Oregon minus the nine and a half, or are you taking Washington plus the points?
2: I like Oregon to to win. Even though you look at historically, you look at Kalen DeBoer, he doesn't lose games and he doesn't get blown out, right? You know he. Eight straight games that Washington has played with a point differential is 10 points or less. Uh, you, know, Washington likes to keep the game close. They think they have the better quarterback who can win in close games. That's their whole MO. But uh, I'll take Oregon. I think I just think Oregon's been too good, and they've been playing angry since that Week Seven loss. I think they continue it.
4: Hopefully, the kicking game doesn't come into effect for the Oregon Ducks on that
2: one. Yeah, yeah. You need to you need to not
1: make it about that. I was just getting used to Las Vegas being this epicenter of championship I football. Oh, I know. Now it's going to be Indianapolis. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, still keep keep an eye on it. You know, you could see
2: Oregon State and Washington State try to put this thing back together. Who knows? But I did talk, I see George Kliavkoff. I shook his hand. He said he's available later to talk. We'll see what he has to say. But Pac-12 commissioners here, guys.
4: I was going to have you send a message to George Kalevkov for me, but now it sounds like, you know, <laughs> mine wouldn't be yeah. a very good message. Hey,
1: last yeah. thing for you, what's Oliver Luck's deal? You know, I haven't heard his name a lot lately. Does he still have a role, if at all, in this thing?
2: He's consulting. He's, you know, and he's consulting with a number of different entities. But he's talking with Oregon State, Washington State, giving them ideas, being a sounding board. He's also consulting with SMU, helping them in their transition as they move into the ACC. So, you know, he's got his hands in a lot of different things. He's not likely to be the commissioner of the New World Pac-2. I don't think that's going to be his role. But, you know, he's around, and, you know, he has proven to be a sounding board for those schools, just sort of giving them ideas. But the plan for Oregon State and Washington State is to survive for the next 12 to 24 months and then look up and see if there's a conference they can join because – they want to be in a Power Four, and they, and they think they belong in a Power Four.
1: John, we really appreciate it. What's uh, what's your final score prediction once again?
2: I got. I'll, I'll take Oregon thirty-five, Washington twenty-one. The Ducks cover, confetti falls, and uh, look for the Ducks in the Rose Bowl in a college football playoff semifinal. Ooh,
1: hoo, hoo. That would be all, against Michigan, I guess. Uh, in that scenario, um,
2: old school. Just like it
1: should have been, right? Oh, dude, you're pulling at the heartstrings now. <laughs> that, that'll be perfect. We appreciate the time, John. I know uh, Monday at three o'clock you'll be back in the chair hosting, talking about uh, a number of things. But in the meantime, we'll follow you at John Cazano BFT and read you at johncazorno dot com. Thanks for joining us from Vegas. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, guys. That's good stuff, right there, man. That is good stuff, right there. So he's got Oregon winning this game. He's got that uh, final score thirty-five twenty-one that's kind of similar to how I feel like it's going to be I've got Oregon 34 24 both of those scenarios have that game going under the the total is right around 64 Steven so um uh, I, I think it's going to be a little bit more of an under type of game than the the high flying high uh, high fast-paced octane type of game that others are predicting
4: yeah that's not this is not really who the ducks are right the ducks aren't a quick strike offense and and I could see a lot of it where it was kind of like last weekend's Oregon State where they're taking you know Five, six minutes, seven minutes. They have the eight-minute drive to start the game. I think they kind of need to do that against Washington. Just prove the physicality and prove that they're the better team. And kind of like John said right there, those players they know they're better, and and they're acting like they are. I, I think that they want to go out and they just want to prove that we're better on the field. We're stronger than you are, and that could be very uh, very interesting to see. H- what was your take on that? How he said there wasn't a lot of screaming, wasn't a lot of emotion from the Oregon players. It was more businesslike. You know, almost feel confident enough. That they don't have to have to necessarily, you know, get overhyped for this game.
1: It's it's interesting. Dan Landing seems to know how to press uh, certain buttons at the right time, right? And like before the the Colorado game, I think you know we all got a, a chance to see what Dan Dan Landing was like when he really wanted to, you know, hype his team up and and get them ready to go.
10: Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today we talk with our pads. You talking with your helmet. Right? Every moment, the Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a
6: difference. Right? There's a difference.
10: Right? This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass.
6: Right? It's
1: going to be
10: played on the grass. Let's go
1: you freaking hyped and then softy had to come in right before the Washington game
7: yeah yeah but because UW is just in it for clicks and we do our talking with our pads that's what we do here at Oregon right so I, I can't wait for UW if they win this game on Saturday I want to walk into Lanning's post-game presser and ask him hey Dan how many clicks you think UW got with this win today over your football team but
1: and Softy also said, of course, that it would be an embarrassment if Oregon lost to UW as an underdog. And they did lose to UW. This time, though, Softy might be right. It might be a little bit more embarrassing if uh, Oregon lost this game tonight. If
4: if Oregon are to lose this game, I, I think, you know, not that Dan Lane would be any type of hot seat or anything like that, but there's going to be questions about Dan Lane and his coaching, coaching ability on, on the sidelines.
1: Let's get your predictions in at 503 417 Don is in Tiger. Don, your prediction for Ducks and Huskies.
2: <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to go with 45, uh, let's see, 27. Uh, I got uh, Pennix only going three touchdown passes and two field goals, and I got I got Bo Nix with seven touchdowns.
1: All right. Well, that's hard to do because seven touchdowns would be 49 points. And yeah, 45 to 27, but uh, I'll take it. How about a seven-touchdown, 45-point game? That would be a first. Well, they could technically not
4: go get the extra points. Could we miss some extra points at Judah?
1: That is very true. Or they go for two. It actually is possible. Don, you're right. I, I apologize. So, it's not a given face. it's not a given that they would score seven points on a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> you're right about that. Uh I would say safe to say if they if it's a seven touchdown game out of Nix... There's your Heisman winner. Yeah, I think the uh, the <laughs> Heisman odds <laughs>
4: goes from minus two hundred <laughs> to minus two thousand at that point. Um, I, I you know I don't think that that's what it's going to be. I think Bucky Irving, you said it this earlier, is going to have a bigger part in this game. I think the Ducks want to run the football, like John said. You know, who I think both teams are going to try to want to establish the run early. It's one of these games, you know, where I think maybe you know a first quarter under. You know, maybe it's like a seven to three game or 7-0 game after the first quarter, where both teams kind of feel each other out a little bit, get the nerves out. Um, there's a lot of line in this game. That's the thing. These are just kids, right? You know, 18 to 23 year olds. You got to get the bird, you know, the nerves out a little bit. So I'll be interested to see what the how the first quarter is in this game.
1: I think the the first quarter, the first half will dictate a lot about what kind of game this is going to be. If Oregon controls this game from start to finish, well, you'll know it from from jump. You'll know if it's an eight to ten minute drive like you were talking about, Stephen, like they had against the Beavers. Uh, you'll get good feelings if you're a Duck fan. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five with your prediction. Uh, the game does kick off uh, right around 5 o'clock. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll do the 5 at 5. We'll also hit on some other topics around the world of sports. We'll also be giving away a lot of tickets. We'll be giving away tickets for Kenny Chesney and Zach Brown Band that are going to Lumen Field uh, next summer. Giving away some tickets for that and WWE Raw. So if you're interested in winning some tickets to some stuff, uh, stuff we all get swag, as Michael Scott would say. If you want, uh, if you want some swag, uh, be around for the five o'clock hour. We'll tell you how to get it right here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn on the BFT. Well, this was the song that Dan Lanning got all fired up about when we brought him on the show ahead of the Civil War. He's uh Lanning's made some comments about our uh, butt music. Uh, some good, some bad. It's been it's been funny, but. That one, Song 2 by Blur, really hits the 37-year-old male demographic. It's right in there. It just gets right there. It's good stuff. Uh, is Creed making a comeback? You know, maybe I don't need to, to go down that road, but there are some out there that think Creed is making a comeback. Uh, maybe they're not terrible. No, <laughs> maybe they no. still are. Maybe I'd they go still go. are. It's
4: more, isn't it more just like a ha-ha, Creed's making a comeback? I think it is a joke. ha-ha. Like yeah. we're, we're laughing at you, not yeah, with you. Not Agreed. with you.
1: That's for sure. Uh, thanks to John Canzano for joining us. He joined us twice from Allegiant Stadium. My mic just fell off the stand just now, but uh, that's to be expected. Late in the week on a Friday, he's got thirty-five twenty-one Oregon uh, over Washington. I want your predictions as well at five zero three four one seven seventy-five seventy-five. And in the five o'clock hour, we'll uh, give away some cool stuff, some cool tickets to some cool things. Uh, that you'll wanna be around for here in the final hour of the show, Steven. So John's got uh 21 Oregon, I've got 34-24 Oregon, you've got forty two to twenty. Uh mm-hmm. the Ducks winning that game. Um, and we're you know, we're gonna get a feel for it with with kickoff in about fifteen minutes or so. Uh give me one factor, one X factor outside of the quarterbacks that you think is gonna play a role in deciding the outcome.
4: Yeah, I, I do think it's the pressure, if any, that Washington can get on Bo Nix, because as John said, nobody has been able to get pressure on Bo Nix. You know, one, the offensive line is so good for Oregon. You know, they they filled in this season. Those like it was a question mark coming into the year. They have definitely answered that question. But two, is Bo Nix gets the ball out so quickly, and you know that's just a that's a testament to Will Stein, a testament to Bo Nix, that's a testament to all those guys who helped run that offense. But I do think if Washington, you know, Trice has been getting some pressure. The t- the defense has played a lot better the second half of the season. It hasn't. It, you know, the first half it was a negative. It was a negative on the team. Second half, I don't think it's been a negative. I would say it's maybe been a neutral or even a positive for this Washington Huskies team. So I do think that Washington's gonna have to figure out some way to get some pressure on Bo Nix because if you let Bo Nix get time. He's going to kill you. He's going to tear you apart. He's going to throw for, you know, dink and dunk down the field, and it's going to work. Not in a bad way. (laughs) Dink and dunk in a good way. And then he's going to take, you know, be able to take one shot downfield to Troy Franklin, hit it and get a big touchdown, or just throw one short to Tess Johnson, let him miss, you know, miss a couple tacklers and go to the house. So I think it's going to be very important for Washington to somehow figure out a way get some pressure on Bo Nix, and hopefully, you know, if you're a Husky fan, force a fumble on Bo Nix on a sack or make him throw an interception. He's on two two all season. That's going to be tough, but you got to somehow get some pressure on Bo Nix in Oregon or else he's just going to tell you your part.
1: Yeah, and if you missed it, this was Desmond Howard, Stanford Steve, and Pete Thamel making their picks on the college football live set today. This is where the Dink and Duck reference is coming from. I'm going
5: to go against the grain. I'm going to go against Vegas. I'm going with the Huskies. They're going to play a disrespected card. I like Dylan Johnson. He's running the ball extremely well now, and they know that they can beat Oregon because they did earlier this season. So I'm going with the Huskies. I'm going to say Washington. Covers. (laughs) Covers. <laughs> oh, keeps Cut it close. Right. Not outright. Right. Out right. right. I do think Oregon has
7: enough offensively and defensively. I think they win the game.
6: Pete, you got a pick? I think Washington wins, and I think they win for a simple reason. Oregon's offense is dink and dunk, dink and dunk. Yeah. You guys remember watching that yeah. in Seattle? They took, they didn't exactly. take any shots down the field. Oh, Never yeah. mind hit any shots down oh, the field. Yeah. I think if Jalen McMillan comes back and is the kind of receiver we saw earlier in the year, which he hasn't been, nope. Washington has a great chance.
1: Well, I think we know where Pete Thamel's Heisman vote is going. It won't be going. Going to the Dinkin Dunk quarterback about next, He'll be going to Jaden Daniels. How about Joel Klatt earlier this week uh kind of handicapping this one.
7: This looks a lot like to me a quarterfinal game because winner I think is going to be in. Based on what the rankings say from Tuesday night. All right, so this has everything to do with where the rankings were. Dan Lanning's team is so well thought of out there. And I think probably a lot of it from the committee is is what a lot of us say that cover this sport cuz we all believe Almost to a man, that Oregon's one of the best teams in the country. They're really deep. They're athletic up front. You know, they've got that that requisite size and physicality in the middle of their defense that 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 you have to have in order to win at the the top level. And then offensively, guys, this is one of the best offenses in the in the country.
1: It yeah, it really is. And well, we'll see if Oregon can continue to channel, channel that and uh, move the ball on the uh, Washington. Uh, Washington defense. Chris Fowler, who's got the play-by-play of this game on the Rich Eisen show, is he surprised that Washington is such a big underdog in this game?
8: What's the scoop? Yeah, very, very few precedents for an undefeated team playing for a conference championship and a playoff bid being this big an underdog. The only parallel has been Notre Dame played Clemson, and Clemson didn't have DJ, uh, I mean, didn't have um, Lawrence in, in the first game, and, and they lost at Notre Dame. The rematch Trevor came back. They're a big favorite. Notre Dame lost and still made the playoff. But this is so unusual to have a Washington team that has run the gauntlet in the Pac-12, one of the deepest years ever in this league, and is a a nine-and-a-half-point dog. It shows you how much they respect the dominance of Oregon down the stretch because they've been handling business, and the Huskies have been kind of scraping by, being clutch in the moment but not dominant. That's why the number's so big.
1: Man, this is going to be just an absolutely... Fascinating game. It's going to be uh, an incredible test for Oregon. We'll see if they can still flex their muscle against Washington when the teams that they've been playing up in the lead up to Washington, including Oregon State because Oregon State was just a lost boy in that Civil War game um, because their their coach was one and a half feet to East Lansing. You know, outside of that, Arizona State was was no real test. Um, you know, some of, some of the other squads that they played along the way, even Cal. Not really a a big test for Oregon. USC, they were kind of lost and struggling by that point, too, even though they've got talent on offense and it was still a good win for Oregon. But this Washington team is the best team that Oregon's faced since the last time they played. And so we'll see how they perform. We'll give you the 5 o'clock hour next. Continue to take more of your phone calls. Give away some things as well on the precipice of the Pac-12 title on the BFT. B-F-T.
0: Now, built by high-caliber millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball, ball face, true.
1: Getting closer to kickoff between the Ducks and the Huskies. Stick around in that final hour. We're going to give away some cool things to some cool stuff here on the show. We were joined twice by John Canzano in Las Vegas. Podcast of that conversation is up as well wherever you get your podcasts. Got a special guest on the line right now as well, a former Oregon Duck offensive lineman, turned podcaster, media star, uh, Duck fan, stand-up comic. He's Nick Cody. Hey, Nick, how you doing?
6: Oh
7: man, what an introduction. Thank you, Judah, or should I say, uh, young noob and uh, Stevie Ray Vaughn over there. Congratulations. <laughs> Give yourselves a hand for how you've uh, held it down the past couple days. And Spencer, too, I've really enjoyed when I've been able to tune in. I think you guys have done a fantastic job holding it down.
1: Man, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. What is your feeling on this game tonight as it's about to kick off?
7: Oh, it's all duckies all night, man. Uh, the one thing, uh, you know, the only disappointment in tonight is that I can't be there. This is going to be the first Ducks-Huskies game I have missed since 2018, which, what a game, you know. And I was really thinking this year we were going to get that kind of an overtime game again, but we are just so close. And, uh, you know, who knows if we're kicking down at the other end zone and uh, a coin toss away, we could be talking about a whole different matchup right now. But I'm excited for the way it is. I love the nervous energy I hear up here in Seattle. Uh, you know, I was walking through the, the Safeway today, and I saw a couple Husky fans, but I saw one Duck fan that gave a loud, Go Ducks! And, man, I got more disapproving stares than I had seen since the last time I did stand-up comedy.
1: <laughs> I love that. You know, I, uh, I went to the East Coast recently. I wore an Oregon sweater, and I got, like, three or four Go Ducks just walking around downtown Boston. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, of course. That brand is – it's super national at this point. And, uh, oh,
10: it's it, – uh, no,
7: no, no, Judah. Hey, let, forgive me for correcting you. It is a global brand, sir. Yeah. You go overseas, everybody recognizes the Oregon Ducks. And you know what? It's only going to get better after tonight. I think even uh, win or lose, even though I think the Ducks win, I think it's going to be a great game that puts both these teams on the map and reminds everybody, like, why are we breaking up the Pac-12 again?
1: What's the emotions like of playing in an Oregon-Washington game? You've done it.
7: I mean, I, but I've done it when, they, you know, it was like that Camden-Lewis kick when UW was not good. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I think for the most part, the emotions were, uh, again, it was interesting to hear Canzano say that they were businesslike because that was always our attitude. Let the fans deal with the rivalry, which I can now do now, uh, living up here in Seattle. That, none of that is going to help or make any difference on the field. So I love hearing that those guys aren't expending unnecessary energy in the pre-games and that they're just focused. I love hearing that. I love hearing even more that George K is free after this game to talk to Canzano <laughs> because, like, what else is he going to do? He doesn't have a conference to run anymore and media deal to, <laughs> to, to, you know, foobar. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's going to have to hand out the trophy at the end of this as well, which is... That's yeah, the, one, the one
7: thing I things. think, uh, regardless of who wins or loses tonight, I would have stayed just to boo him during that moment. And I hope <laughs> I encourage any fans possibly listening out there at the game, I know a few of them, i I've encouraged, just stick around, let George know how you feel. And, you know, like a Larry Scott chant in there with some, uh, <laughs> some things that would probably get, you know, bleeped out of this radio show, that would probably be a good addition too.
1: it. It wouldn't be a Pac-12 title game. If there wasn't a booing of the commissioner at the end, you know, it, it just feels right. Uh, lay it out for us too. What's your layout when you, when there's a big game like this, how do you like to uh, watch it on the TV and what's your food situation? Do you have other people with you? Are you yelling at the TV or do you have to watch it on mute? What, how does Nick Cody take in a big ducks game?
7: Again, I take in big ducks games. All, like I usually love, they have a Seattle U of U- U- ducks spot. I have not been able to go to yet this season, but it's actually at the bottom of the building I work at. So, Very funny that I haven't been able to be there yet this season, but I love going out to the Seattle Ducks event. But, uh, yeah, uh, right now this is a unique situation. I've decided uh, nobody wants to deal with me in public during this scenario, win or lose. So I'm at home. I've got a a 3D TV that uh, I'm going to be testing out the glasses once the game goes live, see how it looks, to get as close to actually being there as I can because I really – I am so bummed out that I can't be there because – uh, you know, the, going back to the 2018 Russia field game, the 2019 game, I'm uh, literally, you can, if, they, if you take the extended interview with uh, Dye throwing the dubs down hmm. after the post game, I am right behind his elbow during that epic dubs down moment. And I'm like, man, just a couple inches to the right. I would have been right in frame with that dug down perfectly. I'm <laughs> doing my profile picture to this day.
1: Oh, it's always a game of inches, isn't it? Uh, well, hey, before we let you go and, and let you enjoy it, what what's, uh, what, what are you doing? Uh, what's next for you? Obviously, no game days in Eugene for a little while, at least for football. But uh, what, what's on the horizon for you, man?
7: Yeah, I've got a, well, I've got a comedy show coming up on my birthday up here in Linwood, which isn't too far away. But uh, it'll be December 13th. Anybody out here in the uh, – Seattle area or north uh, I encourage you to come check it out there'll be information about that soon and regardless uh, you can always follow me on uh, on Twitter and Instagram Nick R Cody and I usually post updates there and most Saturdays uh, now that you know the regular season of football's over I'll be hosting uh, open mic comedy at the Shanghai Room in Greenwood in the Seattle area so come on out uh, especially if you uh, if you like especially if you you ever wanted to watch enough comics to think that you could do stand-up comedy? This
1: is the place. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right, score prediction on that note. What do, what do you got?
7: Sure, I really like John's, but I'm going to go, uh, you know, I think this is going to be uh, a situation where it's going to be pretty close. But I think like uh, Lanny's coach before, you know, like right in that, that, that those minutes right before the half and at the end of the, or at the beginning of the first quarter or third quarter i think it's going to be really important to just own that area i think you know we've talked a lot about establishing things early i don't know feel things out early the the most important part of the game depending on you know who gets the ball in the second half is going to be how do you close out that that first half again because oregon made mistakes to lose that game uh more than uw did to win that game and i think that's a lot to do with it. And i think that the coaching staff the players i think they've all evaluated and and really been building to this moment here, and I'm excited to see it pay off. Hopefully, so uh, just excited for uh, you know. I, I would enjoy a good game, but man, I, I see a Ducks blowout. I, I want to see it 42-15 uh, or 16.
1: Mm. Uh, Oregon. Uh, when you're once a Duck, you're always a Duck.
7: Always a Duck. That's thanks, our... man. Appreciate the podcast
1: shout out. There you go. It's great to it's great to talk to you, Nick. And uh, he'll be pulling for his. Is Scoducks tonight, they have yet to kick off. Uh, When they do, we'll be talking about a bunch of things in the world of sports. We'll give you a little bit of updates from the game, but we won't make a huge deal of it, although we will be watching. And we will be giving away some things on the show as well uh, here in this final hour, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Stephen Vaughn, let's spin it with a little 5 and 5. The 5 and 5. Numero uno.
4: Well the game hasn't started yet, Judah, so I'm gonna kick off the five five with the Pac-Twelve title game. You know, I, I can still do that in the number point. one. There we go. Sorry, it took so, me a while to get there. I needed it. I needed <laughs> that. But yeah, Pac twelve title game in a couple minutes on ABC, the big time ABC Kirkers is gonna be on the call. Kirkers. On that one. What a what a what a
1: day for him. Are you a big Fowler Herbie guy? Uh yeah. I like him. What's your what's your go to broadcast team these days? And it, it could be NFL or college football. I like Burkhardt and Olsen. They're good.
4: And I can always go for Iron Eagle, though, at any point.
1: Iron is good. I think he. I think he does with Charles Davis. Yeah. Yeah, that's a strong...
4: Th- those are probably my two favorites.
1: I like Jason Benetti and Brock Heward. They're
4: good as well, yeah.
1: Benetti's really good.
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, like, Gus Johnson's fine, but he's a little over the top now. Yeah. I, yeah, I liked him much. before he got big. Yeah. Before he was big, yeah. He's know. March Madness, Gus. Yeah. He's a little... He's fine. The Kirk is on the call. Oregon-Washington, Pac-12 title, eight, but Oregon, nine and a half point favorites in this one. Seems like Judah, I'm going to say this... Whoever wins is going to the College World Playoff. Doesn't matter what happens besides that, but all right, whatever you think. Uh, what do you got right before the game? Give it out. I, G- give the give the people the, I, I, the exact score. I so think like about it.
1: Thirty-four twenty-four ducks. I'm going to stick with that. I I like the under of sixty-four. I don't think it's going to be a track meet. I could be wrong. The one thing that makes me a little concerned is these Washington receivers on this turf under the lights. That's going to be a lot for the Ducks secondary to deal with if they can't pressure Penix. Keys to the game for me are Brandon Dorless and uh, Jordan Birch. If those guys are A-list rushers, Oregon wins. They probably win comfortably. Dorliss is the one that got that big hit on Shuck with Bossa picking it off and returning it for a score. I think of Thibodeau making those big plays in the 19 and 20 games. Dorliss and Birch need to make those big plays in this game and, and hit Mike. And uh, if they do, Oregon wins this game, and they probably win by double digits. What about you?
4: Yeah, I got Oregon forty-two twenty, so a little just under the uh, under the total. But Ducks cover this game. I, I think Oregon's the better team in every aspect of this game. So I, I think the only question would be: is is Dan Landing the better coach? Remains to be seen. But uh, give me Oregon, give me the talent uh, to win big in this one. Number two. So speaking of the college football playoff and what could help the Ducks, this is a Florida State loss. Their quarterback, Tate Rodemaker, who is filling in for the injured Jordan Travis, is injured right now with a head injury oh. ahead of the game against Louisville, according to the school Rodemaker. He has participated in a number of drills in practice this week, but freshman Brock Glenn has taken most of the reps as with the first team in practice. Florida State needs a win to get into the college football playoff as they are 12-0 I feel like they get in if they get the win, but uh, they may go be, may, may be going with their third-string quarterback when they take on Louisville and Charlotte tomorrow.
1: Well, you never root for injuries, but that's good news for the Ducks. Um, any line movement on that yet? Is it still Florida State 2, 2.5? Two yeah,
4: two and a half, 2, 1.5. I've seen places. It's it's there. It's basically
1: a pick-up. But it hasn't swung dramatically toward Louisville yet.
4: No, no. I mean, it started above 3 and went below 3, so...
1: A little bit of money on the A lot the of money on
4: Louisville, I think. But I, I think it's kind of settled in right now.
1: Jared Verse, the D-lineman on Florida State. That is a boy amongst men. And Keon Johnson, the receiver at Florida State. He is an absolute baller. But if you're down to your third-string quarterback, I mean, just ask the 49ers in a big game. It helps to have a, a healthy QB and a healthy backup QB. Florida State may not have either when that one kicks off at 5 o'clock tomorrow. But again, go Louisville if you're an Oregon fan. Number three.
4: Speaking of quarterbacks, who would have thought in 2023 that we would be saying these words? Joe Flacco, starting quarterback in the NFL. Oh, boy. 38-year-old Joe Flacco will be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns on Sunday when they take on the Rams. Of course, Deshaun Watson, he's out for the season. DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson, he will be out officially with a concussion, which believes Joe Flacco, who was just added to the roster, he'll be the starting quarterback instead of P.J. Walker, who started two games earlier this season. The Browns Judah, they're a really good team. Real, one of the best defenses in the league. But can they win with Joe Flacco? Can they make any noise later on in the playoffs or is this just kind of a, you know, an unlucky part of their season with Watson being out, now DTR being out, having to turn to a 38-year-old quarterback and Joe Flacco.
1: Yeah, on the face of it, it, it you laugh at a headline like that. Um and I I'll laugh along with it. Yeah, I don't I don't think the Browns that tells y'all you all you need to know about where the browns are as a franchise when you don't want to go with pj walker and dtr is all jacked up from the broncos game so you bring in joe flacco at 38 years old he's a guy you just want to keep the train on the tracks maybe hit a couple deep balls and win some games 17-13 i mean that's what you're trying to do with uh, sir joseph flacco cleveland can do that but what what they're really trying to do is get get 9 wins maybe 10 wins by the end of the regular season and get a wild-card berth in the North because Baltimore is going to win that division.
4: Flacco did start uh, four games last season for the Jets. Yeah. Went one
1: and, one and one three. in Cleveland. That was a crazy game in Cleveland early in the 13 year. 13
4: points down of two minutes left, and they got the win. The Jets, that was his one win they got. Uh, Flacco has started 14 games in the last four seasons. He is three and 14 in those games. I feel like he could have gotten someone better than Joe Flacco.
1: Yeah, you would think.
4: Number
5: four.
1: Anthony Brown, maybe?
4: Dude, should've. Anthony Brown, for sure. Raven's Um, legend. (laughs) Talk about loser franchises. Going from one loser franchise in the Browns to another. The Seattle Mariners, uh, you know, up in Seattle. Jeff Passon, he wrote a piece earlier today talking about how the Mariners could be in the Knicks for outfielder Juan Soto in a trade, but he also put this in it, June. I thought this was very interesting. Passon stated that the Mariners were expected to be a Shohei Otani suitor, but they did not pursue the back-to-back MVP because of the money it would cost them in order to get Otani in free agency. Seattle playing the cheap game, not willing to spend money to go out and get a guy who's won back-to-back MVPs, a guy you can stick in the middle of your lineup, just a bat that you need. Mariners, you know, they struggle with hitting the baseball in the big-time games. They got the pitching. They got young pitching. They need a guy like Ritani, but they don't want to, you know, pony up for that. And he also made um, statements that said basically with Juan Soto, while it would be a great fit in Seattle, doesn't expect Seattle to trade any of their young pitchers or want to pay a guy like Juan Soto.
1: That's just peak Mariners not wanting to pay for an historic difference maker. But that both of those be...
4: guys are historic difference makers in a spot they need in the hit in the middle of the lineup and they're like,
1: nah, we're good. Oh, and by the way, one of them can pitch, although he won't pitch next he year. He won't pitch next year. That's that's a tough they shoot look.
4: for 53%. That's why. They'd be too good if they got those guys.
1: That is a tough, tough look. Mariner ownership pinching pennies at just the wrong time because they do it every time.
4: Is the Mariners Seattle Mariners one of the worst franchises in all of sports?
1: I don't want to say so because they've you know been to the playoffs now once in the for the first time in a long time <laughs> since 2001 one time. Who, like who's the worst franchise? Like the Mariners or like the, the Blazers? Washington, Washington football team or the Blazers?
4: I I, I think the Mariners are right up there. I mean I like I know so calling them a loser franchise is kind of mean. I kind of man. feel like it's uh it's the right on there.
1: Oh, I definitely pressed <laughs> pressed the wrong thing just now. What number are we on?
4: Number five.
1: Oh, yeah, we're on number five.
4: Number five. Well, the No Fun League, the NFL, is back as they suspended the credentials of a videographer who was involved with an on-field touchdown celebration by Tyreek Hill. But in response Tyreek Hill, he said he's going to pay the videographer's salary. Kevin Fitzgibbons, who is a University of Miami student, he was on the sidelines in outside the end zone when Tyreek Hill performed a selfie on a backflip after a touchdown. It was his phone, Fitzgibbon's phone, that Hill grabbed. Hill then did a backflip while taking a selfie. Uh, Fitzgibbon says he has shared a friendship with Hill, describing him as one of his best friends. He noticed Hill uh, standing in front of him on the touchdown, and he surprised him by grabbing his phone and then doing the backflip. Fitzgibbons was not aware that Tyreek Hill was going to do this. Hill was not fined for the incident, but he did receive a 15-yard penalty. But because of that, the NFL has uh, suspended the credentials of Kevin Fitzgibbons for the season. oh Because of it. Because he wasn't even aware of this, but uh Tyree Kill says he will pay his salary. Uh he was not aware that was gonna happen, but you know, he still ha- the NFL said that Fitzgibbons should have been disciplined enough to not have given up the phone.
1: Wow. That's uh that's a rough look, but that is a no fun league. Without question. Why do you guys spend suspend a guy's credentials like that?
4: I just don't like that they didn't, you know, they're not going to find Tyreek Hill who actually has money, but they're going to take away a job of a, you know, a college student. Hey, you can't do this now
1: because you were involved. Like, come on now. Yeah, we don't. Come on. Is that Roger making that call? Or It's got to be one of his understudies. One of his unders.
4: Roger doesn't deal with that stuff.
1: Roger's got enough on his plate to deal with, like, figuring out how to capitalize on the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey stuff that's what he's worried about. Uh, 503-417-7575. Hey, let's give you a chance to win some tickets to Kenny Chesney and Zach Brown Band next summer and WWE Raw Motor Center. We'll uh, basically give you to take your pick. Line up now, 503-417-7575. We'll tell you how to do that right here on the Bald Face Truth. Uh, talk to John Catano a couple of times from Vegas. It's just underway in Vegas. Washington's got the football first and uh, picking up a couple of first downs here early on uh, on the Duck defense, but we'll continue to keep an eye on that. We'll talk a little Trailblazers coming up, too, because, holy cow, I don't know how they won that game last night, but they did, and uh, they looked pretty impressive doing it. And uh, Seahawks-Cowboys, I got a couple takes from that one <laughs> coming out of that Thursday night game last night and where that leaves the Seahawks uh, going forward in this one. But line up now at 503-417-7575. We'll give you a chance to win some tickets on the other side of the break right here. Uh, Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano on The Boldface Truth. Great response on the phone lines here. Giving away some uh, tickets this hour. 503-417-7575. Uh, chance to win some tickets to either uh, WWE Raw at Moda uh, in January or uh, a concert next summer at Lumen Field in Seattle where Kenny Chesney and Zach Brown Band are dueling it out. Is that like a sporting event where it's like a, a like a concert off? Like it's Kenny Chesney versus Zach Brown Band? The crowd's 50-50. Yeah, the 50/50, 50-50 neutral site. Half the,
4: half the crowd is uh, Chesney, half the crowd is Zach Brown Band fans.
1: What no. side would you be on? I'd go Zach Brown in that situation. I have seen Zach Brown Band live. I don't see anything live. Like I'm not a concert guy whatsoever. But in college, I did see Zach Brown Band live. Out in uh, Illinois, it was awesome. Those guys are freaking awesome. So uh, l- let's give you a chance to win some of this. I'll-, I'll ask a couple of questions, and and you know I have a tendency to make these too difficult. So I'll try my best to uh, to keep it uh, to keep it clean, to keep it simple. Let's go out to line one uh, first of all, uh, and this is Joe. Hey Joe, uh, wh- wh- which were you calling in for the the Kenny Chesney Zach Brown band or WWE Raw? Which would you rather try to go to?
12: Uh, I'll take the Kenny Chesney tickets.
1: Oh, okay. All right. So that's going to uh change my question here. Uh have you been listening throughout the show, Joe, by chance? Uh probably not. <laughs> probably <laughs> not he says. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, Joe, uh, I'll I'll give you a chance to uh to win this one anyway. Um who uh, uh who picks Oregon to win the game uh tonight by the score of 35 to 21 was it me was it Steven or was it John Cazzano?
6: uh I'm gonna say Steven
1: it was not it was John Cazzano. Oh. but uh oh okay but you know what you, you seem like a decent soul uh are you a Kenny Chesney fan uh I am actually yeah what's your favorite Kenny Chesney song
12: uh she thinks my tractor's
1: sexy <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a good answer. The other correct answer is "Boys of Fall." That's the oh, only, that's a good one. That's the only other Kenny Chesney song I know. Uh, well, what do you think, Stephen? Uh, is Joe uh, Joe strong enough to to win Kenny Chesney tickets here?
4: Yeah, let's do it to him.
1: Hey, congrats, Joe! Oh, Stephen's feeling yeah, good today. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll put you on hold. We'll get you, uh, some information from you, and uh, we'll give, we'll uh, send you a pair of tickets to to go to Kenny Chesney, Zach Brown Band. You know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling benevolent. I'm in the holiday spirit. I'm in the uh, I'm in the I'm in the holiday mood right about now. Uh, let's try Let's try another line here. I know, Stephen, you're doing a million things at once. How about Mike and Tigered on line two? Mike, what event would you rather go to? Kenny Chesney, Zach Brown Band, or WWE Raw? Uh,
9: WWE Raw, please.
1: <laughs> Have you been listening throughout the show?
9: I have not. I got in my truck to go to my parents' house to watch the Ducks game and heard you guys say in WWE tickets, <laughs> shut up and I called and got through, man.
1: All right. So. All right. Well, give me your favorite Oregon Ducks memory since uh, you seem to be a Ducks uh, Ducks fan or at least watching the game.
2: Uh,
9: <clears throat> I bought a TV from Fred Myers in like 2013 and it's got the Oregon Ducks 2012 schedule burned into it. I got a really good deal on it. So I see... The 2012 schedule. I still got the TV. It's almost junk, but I see that schedule uh, pretty much every day that I watch TV. It's it's just like a background in it.
2: That's pretty cool, actually. That's
9: that's, uh, yeah. Well, not really. My wife hates it. She's all (laughs) she's been mad at me for ten years. So
1: well, there's only.
9: uh... I I I grew up in Salt Lake, so I'm a Utes fan. But then I move up here, and you know I've been up here for 15 years now, and Really like the ducks. I hope they go all the way this year. Man, you got a good shot.
1: I love that. It's a great story. We appreciate it. You're going to win a pair of WWE Raw tickets. All right, Mike, we're going to make your Friday night even better. Awesome. Go ducks. All right, stay on hold. We'll get a little bit more information from you as well for that. Uh, let's keep this. Let's keep this party moving. Let's go out to uh, Kalama, Washington. That's where Don is. Don, what what's, uh, what tickles your fancy? A little uh, country music or a little uh, WWE Raw? How about both of them? <laughs> both of them. All right, he's going for uh, for all the marbles. Here, I've got a question. Have you been listening throughout the show? Uh, somewhat. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always tough. I will say this. Um, uh, do do you know who Oregon State might be considering an offensive coordinator? That's a tough. That's a tough one
3: uh
12: offensive coordinator who was uh, I thought earlier but
1: it's ah, what was it it was uh the UCLA uh Ryan Gunderson but yeah. uh appreciate you uh you playing UCLA. we'll we'll still hey hey we'll send you to WWE raw just for uh for calling in how about that That's fantastic all right we'll uh, put you on hold and we'll get a little bit of uh information from you as well uh just uh, in in a giving boot that's what I am you know people People don't want to be benevolent or generous. I say, no, get rid of that. Like, we've got to give the people what they want. The people want a chance to uh, win some tickets to some cool things. So let's keep that train moving. Let's go to Albany. Don is in Albany. A lot of people named Don on the show today as well. Uh, Don, wrestler? Hey, how you doing? Wrestler or country music fan?
2: Oh, wrestler tonight.
1: You're a wrestler tonight. All right. Have you been listening throughout the show?
2: Off and on between doing my job, I have to get in and out of the truck.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that. All right, well, here, uh, are you a Duck fan? Oh, yeah. What's your favorite Duck memory?
4: Mine?
2: Oh, I would have to stay going back to Herbert, uh, the three-touchdown game he had, you know, by himself, basically, all the scoring and took care of the uh, pushing the Ducks through for the victory.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was a Rose Bowl against uh, Wisconsin Yep, uh, to win by a single point at 28 to 27. It, it was excellent. That's fantastic. Well, hey, uh, congrats. Well, we'll get you a pair of tickets to WWE Raw, all right? Thanks for calling in and sharing your Duck memory. Uh, thanks. Go Ducks. All right. We'll put him on, uh, on hold as well. Give myself a chance to breathe right there. But uh, how about that, Steven? We've got a lot of people. Uh, calling in sharing their favorite duck memories and uh it's been it's been a lot of fun to hear people all over the place people buying oregon duck TVs and uh, making their wife deal with it for a decade in order to uh, win some tickets do you
4: do you love the seahawks that much where you could get like a seahawks tv
1: uh yes but i also would fully recognize that my wife would not probably be on board with it. Well,
4: I would, that's not the question, though. The question I is would, it,
1: buy, I would buy it.
4: You would? Cause I, like, I like the Blazers. The Blazers are my favorite team, but I don't know that I would necessarily buy a Blazers
1: TV. I, I don't even know what that looks like. What is a, what is a, I mean, is it just around the frame of it, you know, or is it like an overlay? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, Brian is in Lake Oswego calling into the show as well. Brian, wrestler or country music fan?
12: Oh, uh, let's go wrestling. Go, go
1: wrestling! There's so many. Wrestling. Well, how'd you become Rattle a wrestling back. fan? There's so many wrestling fans out there. How'd you? How'd you hey, get into
12: it? So, th- doesn't sound like you said you're from Illinois.
1: No, I'm, remember- I'm from <laughs> here. I just, I just did undergrad out there. All right. So, so
12: I, I watched a lot of Portland wrestling. I remember watching it on black and white TV when I was a kid, at, late at night on Saturday night wrestling, and then of course uh, the WWF when when uh, Hulkamania took over.
1: That's what it's all about. See, I remember it when it was like on Did it ever used to be on W B thirty two or like the C W. Yeah, it was on
12: it was on it was on KP It was on channel twelve. Oh okay. In the in the, in the old days. Don Cost it was up in the Crow's Nest and uh, you had you had uh The Grappler. You had some, some great wrestlers, uh uh it, it, some great wrestlers have come through uh, Portland. The so your... Rock's da- The Rock's dad, Rocky Johnson, wrestled in Portland.
1: That's amazing, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a favorite wrestler of all time. Uh, it's got to be,
12: it's got to be the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Randy Savage, yeah. Pro baseball player turned
1: wrestler. What happened in wrestling recently? Someone made a big return, didn't he? <laughs>
12: man, I, I've got to go back to my childhood. I'm, I, I'm not sure who made the big return. Who is it? Are
1: you, well, I, I'm asking honestly because you're I, asking me. Yeah, yeah, someone made a return to to wrestling over the weekend or something. Was it like CM Punk <laughs> or something? Like, am I am I totally uh, misremembering that or? or... If
12: it, if, it, if it's not Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan, you're going to be you're going to be uh, I'm not going to be the guy to answer this question.
6: Oh, I see. So it's
1: my
12: my, ki- my kids will want to go see WWE.
1: Well, hey, congratulations! Uh, thanks for calling. It. You're one of our lucky winners. To go see WWE Raw coming up in January. All right, so uh, we'll all get, right. you, we'll get you, you on hold and uh, make sure that uh, we get you there. So there you go. I love it. You know, I, I'm trying to learn about all all sorts of different things. You know, a uh, little bit of grappling, a little bit of wrestling. A uh, lot of people in, into wrestling in this market, which um, you know, good for them. That's uh, not really something that I ever got into, but I'm always amazed at the the history of it. Uh, in this area. So congrats to our winners. Uh, thanks for you guys calling in. We'll continue to get your information if, uh, if you stay on hold. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll we'll keep going uh, with the show. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Beavers, and uh, I saw Dennis Erickson got a congratulatory message for Trent Bray on social media today. It's always good to hear from the old ball coach in Corvallis and Dennis Erickson.
9: Congratulate Trent Bray, the new football coach at Oregon State University. Very proud of him and uh, what he's done with his career. Uh, Trent played for me at Oregon State for a year and then coached for me. And Trent's IQ, football-wise, is as good as I've ever seen. But you guys got the best. Good luck, Trent.
1: Thank you. I also saw comments from Jaden Grant today talking about Jonathan Smith style against uh, Trent Bray style. And he said, hey, we would run through a wall for Jonathan Smith, but – we would also run through it for Trent Bray because he could rile us up more. You know, he's a motivator. He's a guy that can, you know, bring men together and motivate them, and uh, would we'll run through a brick wall for him type of guy. And he knew Jonathan Smith wasn't like that at all. So, uh, pretty interesting stuff going on in Corvallis. Meanwhile, Scott Barnes talking about the plan for Oregon State's schedule. Of course, they are announcing today that they've got a scheduled partnership uh, with the Mountain West Conference just for 2024, but it wouldn't go beyond that, at least not quite yet.
8: Yeah, you know, um, it's certainly a path forward, and, and we're not ready to announce anything on that, but the model works. You know, we're thinking about six group of five games, and and we're looking at five Power Fives and an FCS. We believe that that model uh, will do great things in terms of moving us uh, uh, towards the path of a CFP if we can play at the level we know we can play at.
3: It does not include, though, any type of reverse merger in two
8: years? Uh, we we don't have an agreement yet okay. with the Mountain West.
1: No agreement with the Mount West of any kind of reverse merger. Good question. You know, I know Scott's kind of thinking about that possibility uh, and uh, thinking about the future of the Oregon State schedule. Under Trent Bray. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Josh Pate was talking about the future of the Beavers as well. With, of course, DJ Uyunglele hitting the transfer portal. But Damian Martinez uh, deciding to stay. And it's been an interesting week for Damian. This was Josh Pate.
0: DJ Uyunglele is in the portal. Damian Martinez is not. So let me talk about DJ for a second. He's in there as a grad transfer. Um, Jonathan Smith left. They are going wherever they're going to go in terms of the hierarchy of college football. But with the Pac-12 essentially dissolving, this wasn't all that difficult to see coming. He had a pretty good year this year. He could go uh, to Oregon or Florida State. Those are some early names to watch. I, I think that process is just getting cranked up. Also, uh, Damian Martinez, the running back, is sticking around, at least it looks like right now, uh, but also got arrested in the past couple of days. And so, you know, they, they elevated from within there when it comes to head coach. Let's keep an eye on this because, as is the case with any, with any coaching move, you could always have the floodgates open. And that was a quality team this year, a high-quality team. So there are some very enviable assets on that, on that team.
1: Damien Martinez uh, was arrested this week. Scott Barnes said, we are aware of the alleged law violations involving Damien Martinez and take these matters very seriously. Damien will not be participating in the upcoming bowl game, and we will continue to gather more information about the investigation. I know Damien uh, went on Twitter and said, uh, you know, it was a mistake. I am fine. I was fine, and I will be fine moving forward. Uh, sounds like uh, according to some reports in the area, there was uh, some marijuana in uh, his vehicle and uh, he was uh, arrested for suspicion of DUII, so, but subsequently released as well. But Damien will not be playing in the bowl game for Oregon State, uh, depending on the bowl game that's out there. Some reports saying that uh, the bowl game for the Beavers will be the Sun Bowl, potentially. Again, we'll find this out on Sunday, uh, shortly after the college football playoff. Uh, rankings are are introduced and we'll see who the top four are going to the playoff. But the Beavers bowl game could be another trip to El Paso in the sun bowl and who they might be playing there. Well, it's hard to say exactly uh, who that might be, but generally that's been a a PAC 12 ACC battle uh, throughout the years. So uh, we'll see if it's another ACC school that Oregon state gets to face in that sun bowl. If that's in fact where they go, I'd be curious to see, you know, Is Aiden Childs going to be the one playing in that bowl game where if he is kind of tied to the hip to Jonathan Smith, still waiting on official word on, on Aiden Childs' future and the next steps at the quarterback position and at the offensive coordinator position for Trent Bray if he indeed goes with Ryan Gunderson from Chip Kelly's uh, staff at UCLA or uh, if he's got something else in mind. But still a lot of questions in front of uh, Trent Bray and Oregon State, which Uh, still have a bowl game in front of them. Damian Martinez won't be playing in it, and Trent Bray won't be coaching in it either. It'll be Kofensi Hinson as the interim head coach for that bowl game for the Beavers. I'd be curious how many fans from Beaver Nation would make a trip to El Paso if it, it indeed is a Sun Bowl. Uh, that the Beavers go to. We'll bounce the break and come back, wrap things up on a Friday in our final segment. Coming up next, Bald Face Truth, Judah Newby, and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano on the BFT Radio Network. Well, this is why you love sports, right? Just just when you think you got a feeling on a game and what kind of game it's going to be, it's the total opposite. If you're tuning in during a commercial break right now, Washington leads Oregon 10 nothing. Oregon's run three plays, and they're down 10 nothing. Stephen Vaughn. Didn't see that coming. No, and uh, Bo Nix, you know, going for the all-time
4: record for completion percentage, over 3 on those three passes. So, uh,
1: And it was weird. Like, the first one hit the referee on, like, his third read, and the second one he, he threw, and the receiver, he was thinking something different, so... Yeah, uh, they got to dig themselves out a little bit. Tell you what, if you're Washington,
4: it could not have been any better the way this game was started. I guess you could have gotten a touchdown that first drive, but,
1: you know, 10-0, you're you know, you're feeling good. Last year, uh, USC got up early on Utah, and then Caleb got hurt, and then Utah crushed him from there. Uh, that's the only thing that I could think of that would be helpful for an Oregon fan. It may be time
4: to, you know, live bet
1: Oregon. Live bet Oregon money line. This will be the, uh, the value that you'll get, because they'll probably score in three plays, and then... I would be like, oh yeah, that's right. Oregon's really good. Uh, I'm not worried yet uh, if I'm an Oregon fan, at least uh, to win the game. I think uh, I think I'm still okay, but I would like to pick up a first down. You know, <laughs> is that is that too much to ask?
4: I would expect a run on this drive.
1: Yeah, that's probably uh, probably a run. Get uh, get that Buck man the ball. You know, send Buck to New York. Uh, it's all good. So that's where that is. This is in the final segment of the show. Shooter, Newby, and Stephen Vaughn. And for John Cazzano. Stephen, i got to set you up for some Blazers here. They go into Indiana, uh, a team that's got great offense, and they rip out a win from them on Monday. Then a few days later, they go into Cleveland, a team favored by 12-and-a-half, that Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell playing together. And Cleveland was in control of that game, and I kind of stopped watching. I got home, I saw the final score, and I was like, what do you mean the Blazers won that game? And they, they won going away. What happened?
4: Yeah, no. I, this is the thing about the Blazers, and I've mentioned this a few times. The Blazers play some good defense. Last four games in the NBA, they're tied for first in defensive rating. They, whatever Chauncey Billups has done, he's got these guys to play hard. And maybe it was just, you know, I, the old the old regime with Dame. I love Dame. Yeah. It got stale. It got it stale. No it got question. stale. And no, the, the, no question about it. And now that they got some new guys in there, Chauncey's getting through to these guys playing defense. And you know, offensively they struggle, but you know they've also shot the ball a lot better. Last five games, forty-three percent on three pointers. Uh, the first thirteen games, they were thirty percent. So they've really shot the ball a lot better. Yeah, I think that has to do with Malcolm Brogdon coming back. He's a veteran player. That's just a good NBA player. And I've mentioned this before. Like he is the type of guy that I wish the Blazers could have gotten when Dame was in Portland. Like he's the perfect backup backup guard that you have. He won the Sixth Man of the Year award last year. That's the guy that they needed with Dane, but now that he's on the Blazers now, he's really taking a leadership role, and the Blazers have embraced him and Jeremy Grant of being the guys down the stretch to really you know uh, close out games. And then last night, Shaden Sharp, 29 points, career-high 10 rebounds, his first career double-double. He's starting to play better now that Malcolm Brogdon's back. He doesn't have to you know handle the load as being the ball handler because he has had a lot of turnover problems this season. It's just, you know, this team is fun. This team is fun to watch play defense, and it's something different than what we've seen the last 10 plus years in Portland Trailblazer basketball, where they're just going to hope that Dame scored 50 and you can outscore it. But now they can win a game by playing really good defense, and they've beaten good teams. The Pacers are probably going to be a playoff team. The Cavs are going to be a playoff team, and they beat both those teams on the road. I like what the Trailblazers have done. I don't think that they're going to be a playoff team. They're not going to be a play in team. I think they're going to struggle at some point, and they'll end up, you know, probably tanking, but. Right now, you know, Judah, the the Blazers are playing really good defense, and it's fun to watch.
1: You know, someone that was like, "Well, at the very least, can I fade bet the Blazers and you know win some money off of my?" I've held off doing that, and thankfully, uh, I have because I did not see either of those wins coming. Because what was the spread of the Indiana game? The
4: uh, Indiana game was like eleven and a half. So when it got up to twelve, and the Cavs game was twelve. So Uh, that's it off.
1: That's amazing. I mean, that that's really two impressive victories. I know you're saying they're not gonna be a planned contender, they they're not gonna be a playoff contender. Um, but what percentage of a chance do you give that this style of play is sustainable to the fact that they might sniff around the play, like who knows, maybe maybe there's a season from hell for a couple of other teams, and it's a young Blazer team that can capitalize with obviously some vets on. on the yeah, roster. I mean that. And that's the thing, Judah is like, like I don't want to get. I'm not going to get over my skis about it, but I'm just, I'm just trying to. Th- is there a world in which the Blazers are competitive? Like, yeah, this? there's
4: there is a world where the team can compete for a play and spot. I mean, top ten teams in in the Western Conference. You got 15 teams. It's you know you can get to the top 10 somewhat. You know. Without having to do a lot, and, and I think right now with the Trailblazers, a lot of things are going to have to go their way, but they're on the right path of it, of you know, playing defense and winning basketball games that way. Because as you get going on in the season, even further down the line, you know, halfway through the year, that's when teams are going to start taking some breaks, and if you bring your defense night in and night out. It's going to keep you in ball games. It doesn't matter how much or how little you score. Last night, the Blazers against the Cavs, they were in the forties. They didn't even crack fifty points at halftime. But the defense kept them in the ball game, kept them within reach. And then the second half, Blazers get hot, and James Sharp starts scoring some. So, it's one of those things due to where it's the it, the formula is there to win basketball games, and that's playing defense and playing hard. And the Trailblazers are doing that. So, yeah, there is it's a, there's a, there's a world where they are competing for a playing spot this season. I just don't see it in the tough Western Conference, but. I mean, what a surprise that would be if they did.
1: If they don't, and this normalizes, and you know, what are they six and twelve already? So, I mean, they're they're behind the eight ball. They're behind the eight ball. If that kind of holds, is this a you know front office that's going to have to trade Brogdon and and have to trade uh, maybe another piece? Uh, is Jeremy Grant untouchable? What what is this? What is the reality from a front office standpoint? If they remain, you know, ten games below five hundred as February eighth gets closer, I do think
4: Brogdon will be traded this season. Really, no matter what, I think I don't think he finishes the season with the Trailblazers, and that's not because he's bad; it's because he's good. I think it's the contrary. I think he's a really good player, and any playoff team would want a guy like that coming off the bench to be able to, you know, manipulate the offense and score some buckets and get some people involved. I think he has a lot of value, and he's playing really well which is going to increase that value. He was never a long-term solution for the Trailblazers. I think Jeremy Grant, he's an interesting one, Judah, because you know he's a guy that kind of wanted to come to Portland with Dame. Now that Dame's gone, he's still got the big contract, so of course he's going to stay. But it's a five-year contract, and he's he's just not going to be worth that money. Five years, $130 million, I believe is what he got, something like that. Like It's too much money. And so I don't know that he's going to be moved. I think the Blazers are going to have to be impressed with an offer, from Jeremy Grant, from from a different team to get Jeremy Grant. If a team comes in and offers them, you know, a really good first round pick or you know, a young player and a first round pick, then yeah, I think the Blazers trade him, But I don't think the Blazers are actively looking to try to trade Jeremy Grant. I think he's a guy that you can kind of build with, and you know, he's the type of role player where you know, when he's your third best player, you're a really good team. Right now, he's probably the Blazers' best player, but you can keep him around and hopefully one of these Shane Sharp, Scoot Henderson guys. Be develop into that player, and then Jeremy Grant can play off of him. So I, I don't think the Blazers are actively looking to trade Jeremy Grant right now. I wouldn't say he's untouchable, but I think they have to be blown away with an offer. Where Malcolm Brogdon, I think he's a guy that they're gonna, they are actively looking to trade. You know, Brogdon's been just a good, great, great sport to play here in Portland. Going from Boston, where they're competing for titles, to come to Portland and come off the bench. It's like, oh man, now he's starting because of the injuries, but. I think that players will actively look to trade Malcolm Brogdon off or uh,
1: during the season. And then for those of us that have been kind of keeping a side eye on on Scoot Henderson and know that he got off to a really slow, you know, rocky start especially from beyond the arc and then he got hurt early, you know, did a little rehab conditioning with the Rip City <laughs> Remix uh one practice uh, of that how's he been looking so far since he's returned?
4: Well, it's still not great. Um it's better than it was. It's still not great. a lot of he's has he has a lot of learning to do. But there are some things that he does that you just cannot teach. And it's the aggressiveness of the hoop. It's the speed, it's the you know change in direction. You can teach guys how to shoot. You can teach guys how to you know read the floor and make a nice pass. I think there's a lot of things he still has to improve on, but some of the intangibles that you can't teach, he has. And so I think for scoot, it's going to be all about reps and that's why I think eventually Brogdon will be traded this season because scoot henderson is he's the point guard of the future he he's the future of the franchise you want to get him in the starting lineup the places are much better with Malcolm Brogdon in the starting lineup but you got to get scoot the, that playing time you got to give him those reps so I do think eventually that's why Brogdon's traded and moved so you can put scoot back in the starting lineup but there's a lot of room for improvement with Scoot Henderson. I still have a lot of high hopes for him. It's still really early in his career, but uh, he's definitely going to figure out the jump shot. He's going to have to figure out some things, but a lot of things to improve for Scoot, but uh,
1: he'll get there. Blazers have the Jazz on a Saturday night on the road. Then they've got a couple of, I think, play-in game consolation games uh, next week at Golden State and uh, versus the Dallas Mavericks. So, well, there'll be a little bit more to get to from there. That'll do it for our show on a Friday night. Appreciate everybody for sticking around and listening. Uh, enjoy the rest of the final Pac-12 championship game ever. And we'll talk to you again Monday. Katsada will be back in the chair. Judah it'll be Stephen Vaughn in for JC today. This has been the Bald Face Truth.